so that you can uh, find out what is in it. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? out of what's going on in the world today and come to the right place. Welcome to Southern Sense Talk Radio with your host, Annie, the Radio Chicky Bellis, and featuring Curtis C.S. Bennett and the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet Radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917 889 3675. So sit back, relax, and remember Southern Sense is common sense. strikes, what's your first impulse? If your answer is run to the grocery store, you're likely to find chaos and plenty of empty shelves. So how do you avoid this? Well, it's simple. You use today to make a plan, to prepare for things that may happen. It's a hurricane, earthquake, blizzard, or even social unrest, especially in today's political environment. The practical place to start is by storing up food in your home. And I use my Patriot supply for my food storage. If you don't have an emergency food supply, it's time to do so. Here's a great item that makes it really simple. A two-week food kit that comes in a rugged tote. And it's only $75 when you go to my special website, preparewithsouthernsense.com, or call 888-441-7290. This food kit includes breakfast, lunch, and dinners that will last up to 25 years on your storage shelves. So order now and prepare yourself, and then rest easy. So it's very simple. Just call 888-441-7290 or go to preparewithsouthernsense.com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense. 
and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well, if you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290, or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Be prepared. All right. And we're back, and my computer is absolutely acting completely a shit. You are here listening to Southern Sense here on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, the Lone Star Daily News, up on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, all the heck with it. Just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. want to say welcome to everyone that is listening live online on Facebook or here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm your hostess with the mostest, the radio chick, Annie, along with my returning absent and also miss co-host Curtis C.S. Bennett. Happy New Year, Merry Christmas, and uh, Happy Hanukkah, whatever. <laughs> Hi, Curtis. Yeah. Happy birthday, too. <laughs> Had a birthday recently. <laughs> but it's good to be oh. back. Um, I am looking at overcast skies, and that pretty much uh, describes the mood that I'm in, along with maybe 75 other, 75 million other mm-hmm. Republicans today. But other than yeah, that, I'm happy to be back. Well, we're happy to have you back. Um, all right. Wait a minute. We just had someone walk into the studio here, and now your microphone is lit. Go ahead. Curtis. Yeah. Is that a voice you recognize? Curtis, welcome home, man. We miss you so much. Hey. <laughs> How's it going, Yanni? <laughs> it's good to hear your voice, well, too. We'll, we'll chat a little bit later on with each other because we've got yeah. so much to go over with. Um, so uh, we've got uh, first guest is coming up, former, officially former, just in the last couple of days, uh, Congressman Ted Yoho out of Florida District 4. He's going to start with the show off. And then if you remember the story of the ICE agent that was murdered in Mexico, uh, Jamie Zapata, well, Victor Avila is the other agent that was in the vehicle that was ambushed, and he was critically uh, injured. He wrote a book about it called Agent Under Fire. He's going to be joining us uh, at the second half of the show. And then, of course, we're going to end up with um, our normal guest from Heritage Foundation. And this time they're sending us Joel Griffith, who is a research fellow at the Rowe Institute at the Heritage Foundation. So we've got a lot to talk about, a lot to do. And one of the reasons why I'm starting to put a little bit of a rush on this, we've got a very long dedication. Um, Just recently, just before the holidays, I ended up with a new neighbor moving in across the street from me. And we got to chatting, and I found something very interesting, that they are a Gold Star family. Um, their 19-year-old son was taken from them, and he was a U.S. Marine. So today's dedication is going to go out. And one of the reasons why I'm doing that is because this couple are very, very special in what they have done in the aftermath of this tragedy. So it's going to go out to Marine Private First Class Ryan G. Winslow and to his parents. All right, no one really talks about the loved ones left behind or their pain, loss, fear, or their incredible courage, strength, dedication, faith, 
and generosity. So here goes. This is from the Military Times, the full, and as I pull up the If anyone can hear my voice, please let me know in the chat room. Um, apparently, Andy dropped out, and she is desperately trying to get back on the show. As we all know, this past year has been a very trying year um, with COVID and um, this thing called wearing the mask and social distancing and then this stolen election it's been a very trying year for a lot of people. Um, our side, you know, we, we play by the rules, and apparently the other side could care less about the rules. And that is why I believe we are in the situation that we are today. Uh, I just saw the news, news flash about the president saying that he will not attend the inauguration. Well, I don't blame him. You know, I mean, the guy was up by hundreds of thousands the night of the election. And then out of nowhere and unprecedented, they stopped the count. As we all know, around 9, between 9 and 9.30, um, basically in all the swing states. And then like magic, Disney magic, um, Joe Biden was leading after they came back on. Um, there's there are so many inconsistencies with this, you know, past election that, you know, they can make a, a movie, a horror movie out of it. Um, I would say that a lot of people just don't believe, you know, this went down like it did. I mean, we knew that these stake was deep, but apparently it's deeper than we thought. I mean, the president fought hard for three appointees to get on the Supreme Court and where were they when he needed them and I, I say where were they when the Constitution needed them um, AWOL as we say in the military absent without leave so you have to wonder you know the deep state does it include the Supreme Court too or perhaps um, they crash Okay, you're back with us. Yeah, I and I have to reboot my computer, so I have right now. I'm calling in on the telephone line. I can't get into Skype; it keeps on kicking me out. I can't get into anything. And wow, yeah, it's it's screwing me up. And mm. I, you know what it is? Just as I was booting it up, it ended up doing an update, and it it does it every time. Oh. It messes everything up. So, I, I've got yeah, I no... hate that update. Oh, I hate geez. that because it's it's disruptive. Um, there used to be a time where they would ask you, you know, if you wanted to continue with this update, and you had choices. But as we know, when it comes to the left and high tech, who are run by lefties, they don't like giving you choices. It's you know, their way or the highway. And I, I noticed that because. I sent out some links a couple of weeks ago, and um, they were pro-conservative, you know, links with pro-conservative messages, and they took them down. Yeah. They took them yeah, down. I, I, I wouldn't doubt it. 
So what we're going to have to do is I'm going to have to put this dedication aside and so I can do it at a proper time uh, later on. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to... end of the show, maybe. Uh, I don't think we're going to have time for that today because of the way we have our lineup scheduled. Um, if we do find that Ted Yoho can only be with us for half an hour instead of a full hour, then I'll try to do it then. But otherwise, I've got no camera. I've, right now, my computer's completely booting up. Jeez, I... Th- if anything can go wrong, it will go wrong. And you know, you saw I had a hey. hard time just signing in just to get into the BTR. So I don't know if it's a problem with BTR or if it's with Skype. I mean, this is, this is a freaking nightmare. Hey, hey it's maybe it's state. the trolls out there knowing that this is a conservative show and they don't want a conservative voice on the air today. Yeah, I was thinking it was the deep state trying to shut us all down. They They are very emboldened now. So I, I expect anything out of these guys. Yeah, it's like I said, anything that can go wrong does go wrong. And uh right now conservatism is under direct attack. There's no other way to say that, you know? And as yeah, we're we finding think- out as we're finding out that the identities of some of these individuals that breached the Capitol they were not conservatives. They had direct links to Antifa and Black Lives Matter. Some of them are known leaders. And when everything went down, um, I the first words out of my mouth is, look at the way they're dressed. Most of them were, the original breach were all in black with those full masks, you know, covers their eyes and their faces. You see them carrying backpacks. Yeah. Yeah. I, do you see many Trumpers carrying backpacks? No, you don't. Do you see them welding bats? One of them ran into the rotunda welding a bat. Come on. That's that's not a, a, yeah. a conservative. That's not a patriot. That's not a Trumper. I mean, some and of the Trumpers may at... have gotten pulled along and they may have gotten suckered. I mean, that's their stupidity. But, but if you look at the way the media is playing this mob, you know, mob scene at the Capitol, things like that. They use the terminology they never use when Antifa or Black Lives Matter. They were peaceful protesters. But this thing yesterday that happened, all of a sudden it's a mob, out-of-control mob scene. Um, Trump needs to do this. He needs to do that. Now they're talking about removing him forcefully. You know, how crazy can this get? Um, you got the a few people. Amendment. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that's more for Biden down the road, but still, you know, it's it's crazy how these people are are in positions of leadership, and they're out to destroy this country, regardless of the oath they took to preserve our constitution, and 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 then we have people like the Republicans that just bow down to to them, you know. We had a lot of, uh, I would say. Um, tripwires, as we call in the military, um, but they all fail. Supreme Court, the you know Rhino Republicans, and the 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 heartless ones, and and the vice president, you know, they all abandoned this man at the last minute. I mean, he fought hard for those three um, Supreme Court appointees, and they looked the other way. It's just it's just like a, a, a mad sci-fi movie, 
twilight zone that we're living in. That's my rant. <laughs> <laughs> well, look how many people are cutting tail right now. How many people that um, turned around and rode his coattails into office, swore allegiance to him, only to turn around and simply abandon him? You know, yeah. all right, he's, he's a lame duck president, fine. You know, you're going to expect some people to say, right, fine, uh, the administration's basically lame duck, there's only days left. Let me, uh, I've got a job offer over here, let me go ahead and take that job offer. What's the difference of a couple of days? Well, first off, it means, it goes to show just how loyal you are to your friends and just how loyal you are to your enemies. Um, it sp- speaks volumes to these individuals, the characters of these individuals. I mean, even, I, 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 I told you when Lindsey Graham started to ride the coattails of Donald Trump, I said, watch it. When it comes towards the end, Lindsey Graham's going to show his true colors. And yes, he did. Yes, he did. Now, I'm trying to get back oh, yeah. in again. Once he I've got, got reelected. The, I've got the studio up. I've got my chat room back up. So let's see how we do on getting everything else back up. Um, Skype did a update just before. Let's see if I can even get back into Skype. This this is crazy. Okay, let's see what happens okay. here now. All right, so anyway, keep on talking, Curtis, while I try to figure this crap out. <laughs> but I'm looking and, forward towards the future. You know, we in another two years we have midterms. Um, really don't know how that's going to go because a lot of people just turned off right now um, on our side and on the side of um, – liberty and freedom um but we can't just give up you know i mean i get frustrated i'm frustrated now like i said we we had a clean sweep and um it was really just taken from us um i wouldn't even call it a fumble in football you know somebody just grabbed it out of our hands and um ran with it so i i believe what um goes around comes around so We'll see what happens, you know, down the road as far as the Democrat Party. But I, I'm just still frustrated at our side. We have not learned how to fight. We have not learned how to stick together. And I'm talking about the politicians. The people did what they were supposed to do. We came out in great numbers to um, vote during this election. Great numbers. Uh, from my understanding, Trump increased his um, turnout by 5 million people. And, and some of that were, I believe, minority votes, you know, that he didn't have before. So it's strange how we increase our lead statewide um, in the House. You know, we didn't lose any seats. We gained some. And in the Senate, supposedly that night, we supposedly had had um, held on to that. I don't know what happened to that, but you know, where we had to have a runoff. But the thing is, everything was rising except for the man who was behind it all, and that was Trump. Out of nowhere, you know, he lost. And it was just unbelievable that he would lose because we know his turnout for his campaign on rallies were were the highlight of this, this campaign. I mean, he had people coming up by the thousands and, and, and boat parades, you know, sometimes over anywhere 200 to 500 boats in the boat parade. And I even heard one time there was a 
90-something-mile um, convoy of um, truckers uh, for Trump. So, And then you got Biden, who can barely get 30, 30 you know, people to come to his rally and maybe 20 cars, and all of a sudden he just, you know, just overtook Trump like that. It just doesn't well, you happen. Know, you know, this was all contrived. They, they keep on saying there was no voter fraud, but all you have to do is just look at some of the videos that got posted by people that were whistleblowers. They have that one uh, location, what was it, in um, Minnesota, where they showed this mm-hmm. guy, this one woman, feeding ballots, the very same stack of ballots, in five times. Five times. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's, that's not an oops. That's not an accident. You watched her literally take them out of the bottom of the hopper. She feeds them through the top. It goes through the top. Feeds it through, they come out in the bottom. She takes them, she stacks them, and takes that very same stack out of the bottom and puts it directly back into the top and reads them a second time. And you watch it count five times. And every time she does it, the guy sitting on the other side of that machine just turns his head away as if he's not seeing her doing that. Really? Really now, guys? You've got to be kidding me. Yeah, and then there were baskets of ballots under the, the you know tables and stuff they pulled out um the, the the courts didn't want to hear this you know they want to wash their hands of this and that's once again because they had no courage and i believe if they don't have the courage and fortitude like uh, alito and clarence thomas they shouldn't be on the supreme court you know they just shouldn't because they they're given lifetime positions on the court so they wouldn't be impacted by politics but they've chosen to they've chosen to be um and that's a disgrace you know to turn your back on the constitution the founding fathers and and um the country overall by just you know ignoring these things do we have a phone ringing somewhere that's weird curtis did i lose you Oh, tell no, me I'm now we just listen. <laughs> okay. I was going to have here. a panic attack. Oh, man. I was definitely going to have a panic attack. Oh, good Lord. Jeez. It, 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 like I said, if anything can go wrong, will go wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I am well, operating like- out of the off- office of a friend of mine, so the phone may go off every once in a while. I'll just meet when it does. Oh, all right, all right. Lisa, I'm not, at, know what's I'm going not at home today. <laughs> well, it looks like we got the video back up on uh, Facebook also. So if anyone wants to join us over on Facebook, just go to Southern Sense and Facebook, and we got it up there. Yay, we got it back and running. Um, Yanni got frustrated, so he just stormed out of the office. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, as we were talking about, you know, the proof of voter fraud, you know, you had whistleblowers come forward. And these in, these honest individuals ended up with death threats. Uh, Josh Hawley, um, he went back to his home state of Missouri. Um, and when he's not at home, Antifa shows up at the front door of his home in D.C. 
with his wife that was home alone with their newborn baby and attempted to kick in the front door. No, 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 no. No one says anything about that. That's, That's not criminal action. But heaven forbid some idle-minded, misguided individuals that were at the Trump rally ended up following Antifa leadership, thinking it was a Trump leadership because they disguised themselves well enough that these people were fooled, breached the Capitol. Now, first off, vast majority, I would say 99.9% of people that are Trump followers are Republicans, conservatives, are law-abiding individuals. They know it's wrong to, to trash the Capitol. They know it's wrong to break into, to breach the perimeter. You know it's wrong to assault a police officer. And my prayers go out to the family of uh, Officer uh, Sicknick, who was murdered by someone who smashed a fire extinguisher into his head. And he's lost his life defending the Capitol, defending the people's house. We know it's wrong. So why is it only a handful broke away and did this? There was well over 150,000 people there. So you didn't see 150,000 people storm the Capitol. A handful of people were responsible for these actions. And the question also is, first thing I ask is, where was the National Guard? When they've had incidents similar, they had warnings beforehand of this, they have had you know, warnings of large crowds gathering, and every time, or I shouldn't say every time, but when you expect a crowd this large, the National Guard is put on alert, and they are stationed nearby in case they need to be pulled into action. They weren't. Where were they? Why wasn't the Capitol Police and the D.C. Police on full alert? Everyone should have had their, their vacation day or their regular day off pulled. Should have been overtime galore. Well, then go with the script. You know, they, they anticipated problems happening. Because like I said, they want to stain this president. Now they're even talking about um, impeaching him again. That's on the table again. I'll tell you, they just don't stop. They are relentless. And our side, our leaders want to bow down. Put your hands on their ankles, you know, and, and just surrender. <laughs> to kiss your sweet patootie goodbye. Well, let's welcome someone that was happy, probably very happy, who wasn't in the middle of all this uh, because Pat Maxey uh, took over his seat just recently. So welcome. Now we have to say former Congressman Ted Yoho. Good afternoon, Ted. Annie, um, good afternoon to you and Curtis and um Thanks for having me on, hey. and I am ecstatic, like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I was up there. I was up there Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and I got back last night about 1230. Ah, but you weren't in the middle of that whole mess that was going on. Thank heaven for that. And, uh, you know, the vast majority of the people there, when you have a Tea Party rally, if you have a Trump rally, the place is normally left neater than when we got there. So you had to know Oh, it that- is. In, in the crowd agitating. Now, I was listening to um, Louis Gohmert. He was uh, recently on uh, uh, Patriot Radio talking uh, after this, and he said that he was given 
information by the Capitol Police that he's very friendly with that they had chattered. They knew Antifa was going to be setting up to agitate. Yeah. So my, my question is, sure. why wasn't security even better than, it sh- than we, were, we were seeing? You know what, Annie, that's going to have to come out in the investigations. Um, you know, we've had reports where the police were taking down barricades and then bringing people in. And so I don't know why that was unless, you know, I don't like conspiracy theories and all that. You know, if they did that intentionally, knowing that these bad people were going to be in there to have that narrative that, you know, as and this is unconscionable, that Karen Bass was on TV saying, this was like a Klan rally, and as you said in the very beginning, you know, I was up there, and these people were staying at the hotel I was in. These were, I mean, grandparents, uh, adult children with their children, with their parents. It was like a Tea Party rally. They were, I mean, just polite. Uh, I mean, they were just nice people. And, yeah, there were some bad players, as we found out. But, um, you know, to label this whole thing that way um, – it's just not right, and I, you know, I think Louis very right on that. Yes, when we watched Black Lives Matter and Antifa, when they did these rights, peaceful protests. No, these aren't rioters. Yeah, right. We saw stage vehicles. We saw them plant weapons. We saw them ahead of Alex the rally. Yeah, bricks off the the, the uh, roofs of apartment buildings, aiming for the officers below. We saw yeah. the violence, and we saw the way they planned it, knowing that they were going to do the same thing here and agitate. And, of course, there's going to be some people that are, are foolish. They're going to be misguided yep. and think that people are out there are really, truly Trump you know, ralliers. But we knew also that they said, well, we're going to go in there. We're going to buy the Trump hats and the, and the uh, flags. We're going to look like everyone else until it's time to break up, and then we break out. So, you know. Well, and then you saw the and, you are oh, oh I'm sorry yeah retired New York City cop so you know when we oh, get chatter we would be mobilized and said all right fine and then they would send us out in bus loads to staging areas in case something happens now I've been through the Brooklyn riots of the eighties yeah I, I I know how police tactics are but I didn't see it deployed here. And I'm just watching on TV. If I a lack of security, what I'm seeing on Newsmax, something's really wrong. Well, and that that bodes the question: Why were they so lax if they had that chatter? And this goes back to why did our 17 intelligence agency, in the very beginning of Trump, when he won the the um, the primary, why did they come out unanimously? very early, like January, February, and say there was definitely collusion between Trump's campaign and Russia, yet three and a half years later, it was proven there was no collusion. And I want to know, how did 17 of them all at the same time get it wrong, but were so adamant? There had to be a reason for that. And unfortunately, with a change of administration, we may never find that out. But that's something all Americans ought to question. And, of course, now the narrative is if you were at that rally, you are a domestic terrorist. And I've been at um, uh, classified briefings that I can talk about now where they talked about white national supremacists are the biggest threat domestically that we have. And when I was in that meeting, I was the only Republican, 
and it scared me, and I stopped the meeting. I says, you know, I've got to interject here. I says, you guys are scaring me because what, what I'm hearing from you is if you're an older white guy, if you're a Christian, if you own a gun, you believe in the Constitution, and you maybe were associated with the Tea Party, you're on a watch list as a white uh, national supremacist. And they kind of try to play it down, and they say, oh, don't be ridiculous. I says, I'm just reiterating what I've just heard here. And, and then you heard Biden say, uh, number one, they were going to they were going to unite the nation and get rid of this stuff, this divisiveness, but we know they don't do that. Um, and then you hear Biden say, if you're at these rallies, you're a white, you're a, you're a domestic terrorist. And uh, we're going down a path that is very dangerous in this nation, as you all know. Well, I was hearing reports for, of certain people that say that, well, my company found out that I was at the rally, and now they've put me on notice or they have fired me. Well, it, it, the Wall Street Journal's got a great article today on that, and that's cancel culture. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. When, when have you ever seen a, a when have you ever seen a news media like Facebook and Twitter tell the president we can't put your message out? You're talking about being censored by big tech, and we're supposed to have free speech in this country. You know, they could put out a disclaimer, and uh, you know, I don't agree with everything the president did or said, and uh, but. But for them to start saying who can speak and who can't, again, we're getting into a very dangerous situation, especially when you look at what Nancy Pelosi put into the House rules, that you can't use the pronouns he or she, mother or father. And they can get to the point where they're going to call that either hate speech or they're going to censure that member of Congress and not let you speak anymore on the House floor. Your free speech has been erased because of the rules of the liberal progressive Democrats that are Marxists or communists. There are no moderate Democrats in Washington, as far as I'm concerned, as a former member of Congress. They, they don't exist. I don't think they exist anymore. And unfortunately, I had to block two family members after Wednesday night. Um, the, the I don't messages blame you. That they, and This is intimate family members. Uh, I had to... I, I and. My mom, God bless my mom. She's going to be 89 years old this July 4th. Um, when I read the text and I started crying because, you know, I love this, these two individuals very much. And, you know, the Lord has taught me that you've got to forgive, which you find very hard. Um, but I will. Be. Yeah. Um, but when I read that and I started crying and my husband looked at me and he's like, well, what's going on? And thankfully, my mom's deaf. Uh, so I told him, and he goes, oh, my goodness. And then my mom kept on pushing, pushing, pushing. So I told her, you know, what was sent. And she goes, I don't blame you if you block them. My own mother said yeah. that about her own child. Yeah. That is how close family member is. When she says that about her own child, that maybe you should block that individual. And I said, at well, that point, and that's where we're heading as a nation. That's how divided we're getting. Yeah. Yeah, if they want a conversation with me, then you're going to have to pick up the phone or write me a letter. Because at this point, any social media contact, any text messages, I'm not going to accept. Very simple. And that is how bad our nation has become divided. That when you have to turn around sure and take my own thing. I mean, Curtis, you've experienced it. Um, I think that's the problem that we're going to be seeing a lot of us. And families well, are I believe that uh, outside of the election itself, I think COVID has done 
a lot of great damage to um, families and friends as far as, you know, dividing them. Because, you yeah. know, those who wear the mask seem to be sacrimonious about it, sanctimonious about it. And, and <laughs> I, what I mean by that is if you see someone uh, that you know, even if you don't know them, they want to know why you're not wearing a mask. It's, it's not about choices anymore. It's about, you know, what what that person feels you should be doing because they're doing it. And well, we do have rights in this country. That's right. Yeah. Well, and, and the narrative and the media, the media and the liberal progressives saying if you don't wear a mask, that means you don't care about the other person. And so it's class separation again. It's pitting class against class. And they are astute. It's Saul Alinsky. And, you know, people need to wake up. These are the people that are in control now. Yeah, unfortunately. You know, and I, I still go to physical therapy twice a week. Uh, and I, I'm one of those individuals that I cannot wear a mask. I will get very sick. And I had sure. my doctor check me to find out what's going on. I've had the COVID test. I, I, we self-quarantined because, like I said, I've got a mother's going to be 89. Uh, she's disabled from a stroke. My husband, who's in his 70s, is also disabled. I'm disabled. So, you know, we, we, are, take, we take as many cautions as we can. But I'm just one of those freaks of nature that can't wear a mask. And I probably won't be able to do the vaccination because I wear a medical alert bracelet because I have a lot of allergies. And I don't yeah. want to end up in I have to carry an EpiPen. Um, so when I do go somewhere and I want a face covering, I wear one of those clear shields. And fortunately, uh-huh. no one's really good hassle. But if you're in the store or someone, and even I have the shield on and they're wearing a mask, someone is always bumping their shopping cart up my rear end. And I have to always turn around and look at them and say, excuse me? And you call this safe distancing? Yeah, yeah, yeah Even really. when they do wear that, it's like the rules for me, but not for thee. <laughs> That's right. Um, you know, it's funny because I was on an interview yesterday and they were wanting to know kind of, you know, the moment yes, or when the, the thing happened at the Capitol and they act like that's now. I mean, it, it, like it all happened just right now. But what I had to remind them, I'm like, why is President Trump our president? You know, you have to think, how did he get there? He got there because people were fed up with what Washington was not doing, and they're fed up with seeing our nation erode. And it, it's like it's the revolution of this country was not 1776. I mean, that's the date where the conflict started, but the revolution started about 20 years before that. And if you think of that first wave of Tea Party was 2008. I came in in that second wave in 2012 is when I came in. But the Tea Party started in about 08, 09. So there really has this conflict has been building, and Donald Trump is the, is the fruition of the frustration of the conservatives in this country that see their, their country turning socialistic, if not worse, and the left denies it as of four or five years ago. Oh, we're not socialists, but then you have Bernie Sanders, who is now an avowed socialist, 
and you look at the squad and the AOCs and all that, and look at who's funding those people. They're the progressive Democratic parties or the the new Democrat party. And if you look at the history of that and who they, they align with, they say they're a communist party. And this yes, is mainstream, and we know this. They are. And so, you know, you, you expect us to sit here and be quiet, and then when we, we do make noise, they want to label us as domestic terrorists. No, we're the – you know, it goes back to what Thomas Jefferson said. The tree of liberty – from time to time will have to be refreshed with the blood of tyrants and patriots. And I don't, we don't want to see that, but how long do you sit here and watch your country erode in front of you before you say, we're not doing this? And I think that's where the American people are, the conservatives, the 70-some million that have voted for Donald Trump, said, we're tired of this, and that is the silent majority that will not be silenced. And I'm part of that group. Well, you know, see, another uh, thing that I look at, Another thing I look at is on our side, we have leadership there that's been a part of the establishment for decades, and they won't let anyone get into position of power that that that's you know have some kind of affiliation with the Tea Party. Curtis, I know that. Um, I know that firsthand. Like I have experience. Oh yeah. There is no leadership in Washington. There are people that will cow down to the party of big government to maintain their position of power. So that they get the accolades of like Kevin McCarthy. Oh, you're the majority leader, and he wants to be Speaker of the House. He is not a leader, and you can talk to the members of the party up there. Kevin is a person nobody trusts. Kevin is somebody that will go with the wind. He wasn't for the president until he became the president, and now he rode with them. And you know he'll leave them just like everybody else. And um, you know they just wait their turn. And we cannot afford to have people that are wait, waiting in their turn to be leaders in, of this country. We need people to take leadership, and uh, that's not something you wait in line for. Well, unfortunately, you see how many rats are jumping the ship uh, as soon as this all happened. <laughs> and they, You can tell. And unfortunately, Kelly Loeffler lost any chance to ever regain her seat. Uh, when she turned around and says, well, I'm voting to certify. I've changed my mind. She, she made a tremendous <laughs> – I tell tremendous you what. <laughs> yeah, that's a backbone made out of a slinky. Yeah, and I predicted my own senator would, in a heartbeat, would backpedal on Trump, Lindsay, or I always call him Lindsay Gramnesty. And, oh, my goodness. And Louis, you would have been proud of me today. I went nose to nose, literally nose to nose, toe to toe with Lindsay. But he's the same height as me. Is that right? He's about five, he's about five foot three, correct? And here yeah. downtown Beaufort, Carolina, uh, he was voting on uh, funding the International Bank, the World Bank. Um, he was voting on uh, something else. There's three issues on him. I made him back down on two out of the three. So his staff wasn't happy with me. So I'm sort of like persona non grata in his office. Good for you. And see, that's what we need to do as constituents with our representatives. Call them out. Yeah. Yeah. Now, we formed our Tea Party in 2009. That was the very first year of the Tea Party. And there was the call to start the Tea Party at the end of January, February. We started ours in March. Uh, as a matter of fact, our first rally was that July 4th, and it should have been Mark Sanford, who would have been our speaker, but he got caught with his pants down, down in South America. <laughs> yeah. So I remember 
Yeah, very, very well. You know, um, but the Tea Party me- mental attitude is still out there. You know, this is what it brought is. Trump up. You know, the Tea Party people were looking for someone to give them leadership, someone that reflected their core values, but spoke plain, clear language. And give it a, a, a good trait or a bad trait for Donald Trump. Sometimes it gets him in hot water. Sometimes it raises him up. But my prediction is Donald Trump's a fighter. He's going to come back, and I want to see what he does during the next four years because you don't think he's going to go quietly into the night, do you? I didn't used to think that, but I think uh, I think you may see him kind of just get away. You know, I hate to see that, but I do believe there will be somebody else that replaces him that believes in God, country, family, that believes in our Constitution, that believes that America is a constitutional republic, and I'll be damned if you're going to change it. And if you want to change it to a socialist country, do it through the Constitution. And that's the way it was set up to be. You're not going to go in there and do it de facto changing it, but that's what the Democrats are doing. H.R. 1, the bill that Nancy Pelosi put, the fairness, um, the um, people's, I think it's called the People's Fairness and Choice Act, that changed the election laws. It passed the House. McConnell blocked it. But yet the, the ramifications or the stuff that was in that bill is exactly what Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan and Wisconsin, Nevada, and Arizona enacted bypassing their state legislatures. And this whole thing with Trump and the, the, the steal the, the, the vote, they are absolutely right. And I think Ted Cruz did the best job saying, you know, I'm not saying we're going to overturn it, but I think these things need to be established whether it was fraud or not, for the integrity of our democracy and the voting process we do in this country. And, uh, you know, he got shot down, at, you know, and said, you know, he's a radical and all that. No, he's not. He's standing up for what this country was founded on. And um, I think you'll see somebody else rise up. I don't know if Mr. Trump wants to get back in there or not, because um, I tell you, it is a tough thing. He does love this country. I can tell you that, though. Yeah. Well, there's words saying that Laura Trump may throw her hat in, Trump may throw their hat in. So there will be another Trump in the race. So we'll wait to see. Right. But, you know, it, it, she is it, sharp. I have I have met with her, and she's a sharp individual. Oh, I'd love to see Louis Gohmert. I love that man. I had the pleasure of meeting him at one of the Senate <laughs> Tea Party Coalition conventions. And it was the first Louis year. Louis right. And I, I chatted with him for a few moments. And unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to interview him because we were doing a live broadcast from there. Uh, and then a couple of years later, he came back. And I'm walking through. And he remembered me. You know, just that little two-minute chat. And that's the type of man that he is. You know, that's the type Louis of is great. And he's like, funny. He's smart. And yeah. uh, he's a true patriot. Yeah. Well, I also had a. Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah, Curtis. Yeah. What do you think of um, Pence's role in this yesterday? Um, I'm hearing all kinds of stories that there was nothing he could do. There was a lot he could have done, and he betrayed Trump. He betrayed the country. You know what he did was constitutional. 
It's like all over the place with Pence. I like Mike Pence as a person, but I think Mike Pence is a career politician. And, you know, I made that formulation about the second week I saw him as vice president. Um, You know, he's a person that's just waiting to be there. Um, You know, this whole thing with could he have changed this if the process would have gone properly? And, Annie, this goes back to what you were saying. They knew this was going to be challenged in a big way, 100 and some members in the House and 12 or 15 in the Senate. And, you know, if you question one state on the legitimacy of the Electoral College, that's going to spill into those other ones that are in question. So maybe this was something that they allowed to happen. Of course, the left is great at blaming the other side for what they do. And so when it comes back to Pence, you know, if you've got all these people – not willing to fight and overturn the electoral vote and question it, it comes to him um, from a constitutional. I heard people say he doesn't have the authority to do that. Other people said he could have done that. Um, He had to make that decision. Um, It was a tough decision, but knowing him, I think he's one of those uh, jelly bone um, uh, Republicans. That's a good way to put it, jelly bone Republicans. Yeah. Oh man, I agree. that is funny. I like that. <laughs> I like that. You know, but when we see the Democrats really expose their true colors, and people seem to be amazed, and oh my goodness, you know, they've gone so far left. I don't think it's the fact that they've gone so far left. They were there. They just never let people see it overtly. Until until Hillary Clinton ran for Senate out of the state of New York, and I was still living in the state of New York, and one day she made it fashionable to say, I am a progressive. And the moment I heard her say that, I and I went, what? And the media and everyone else let it slide. Oh, you know, she doesn't really mean that. She didn't just say that she was a communist. No, she didn't really. Yes, she did. And she made it fashionable for everyone else to agree and say the same thing. So Bernie Sanders comes out of the closet. What do you expect? What did anyone expect? No. You know, and, you know, you brought up expectation. The American people don't get the government they want. They get the one they deserve. And if they keep allowing these jelly bone Republicans go into office and not take a strong stand, you know, if they're not willing to take a strong stand, throw them out. And if you're not willing to throw them out, you get the government you deserve. And unfortunately, as a nation, we are there. This is us. You realize we're going to have Mayor um, Bauer up there, Bowser. She has demanded that in the first 100 days, D.C. gets a vote on statehood. That's going to go through. And the House and the Senate, are are they going to pass that? Biden will send that, sign that. And that means two more liberal senators, one or two more liberal House seats. And then they're looking at Puerto Rico. They will have open borders. They will have amnesty. There's bills already introduced to uh, give amnesty to everybody. And... Uh, the American people don't think this is going to happen. They're like, well, you know, I hear some of these senators and congressmen saying, well, you know, we can't hold this, uh, the approval of the Electoral College up. You know, we can't do that. But we need to do an investigation to look at the voting integrity. Are you kidding me? 
we know the voting integrity was in question. And so what are we going to do two years from now? Do an investigation that will come up and say, oh, you know what, there were some problems with the voting thing. So you're going to remove Joe Biden and all the damage that has been done? Give me a break. Yeah. You know, I look at um, the Civil War. I look at the Civil War. How many many more seats would also be added to the House, too? Not just the Senate, but also we have to look at the House, too. Uh, whatever the and population I, of D.C. is, I think it's over seven hundred thousand. So that'd be one or you know probably one one more seat at least. Puerto Rico's got about I, I forget what the yeah. population is, four million people maybe, and so that would be probably six seats, five seats. Yeah, just a hint. And I love Go people ahead, Puerto Curtis. Rico. They want to become a state. Yeah. Puerto Rico wants to become a state, and I was going to support that until my wife and I went down there. All the signs on the roads were in Spanish, and when we talked to people, you couldn't talk to them unless you knew Spanish. And I came back, and we had the Congressional uh, Research Service run, what is the fluency of English in Puerto Rico? It was 23%. That 23% of the population is fluent in English. And I'm like, you want to become a state of the United States, but yet you can't assimilate in English? It doesn't. Yeah, that's true. It, it, yeah, so... We've got some work before they allow that, uh, and hopefully we can prevent that. We should have some requirements. I'm sorry. Yeah, I what I was going to say, <laughs> what I was just going to say, we all know that the um, the left will take and um, any advantage that they can, legally and illegally. Yeah. And yeah. what I was saying about the Civil War. Lincoln, this a lot of things within his powers, some things outside of his powers, but his main goal was to preserve this union. Mm-hmm. That was his main main goal, and I think that's why he did some of the things he did outside of his power. But it worked. He preserved it as far as keeping us together. Now, as far as it really working out between everyone, that's a different story. But we still you right. know, came out of it one nation. And it just kind of ticks me off when you get somebody like Mike Pence who, you know, it, we're not really asking him to go out of his power. This seemed like what he could have done. And the same thing with the Supreme Court and all the rest who who turned their faces away when they were needed. You know, that that was an opportunity to stand up for this country and preserve this country and the Constitution because it's no secret, the left has made it known that they want to fundamentally change America. They want to, like you say, add seats in, in both houses of you know Congress and, and a lot of other things well, they Curtis, want to do. You know, and that, we didn't do it. Uh, we didn't stand up. President Obama, five days before the inauguration, he says we're five days from fundamentally transforming America. That was the wake-up call for me. That's when I decided to sell my practice and run for Congress because I'm thinking, wait a minute, America is not the problem. Yeah, we have our flaws, but we don't need to fundamentally change America. What needs to be fundamentally changed is Washington, D.C. Now fast forward 10 years from there or eight years from then, and you hear Chuck Schumer. We're going to win those two Senate seats, and we're going to transform America. What in the hell are they going to transform it into? It is their social, socialist utopia that they're pr- promoting, which in reality is Hugo Chavez and Nicolas Maduro's Venezuela. 
And, you know, this is really, this is what I see coming, you know, especially after being up there for eight years. And, um, you know, the American people, it's time to wake up. Well, what, can I, can I interject? You? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, for your listeners, I would promote, I'm going to promote a, a video, and it's on Amazon Prime. And it's called A Plot Against the President. That is probably the most accurate description of the last four years. And I lived through that. I was at some of those hearings. It was all the things against Donald Trump. And this is where I quoted those 17 intelligence agencies all got it wrong. The end of the movie comes out with a conclusion that it was a coup d'etat. And I've asked people on the Intelligence Committee, I've asked Devin Nunes, Mike Turner, uh, Jim Jordan, and they all said, oh, there was no doubt, it's a coup d'etat. My next question was this, do you feel this election was an extension of the coup d'etat? Oh, absolutely. So if we're in agreement that it was a coup d'etat, you're limited on what your options are. You can try to overturn it legally. The courts turned a blind eye. I brought this up in several meetings that I was at. And I says, why did, uh, was it, um, um, I forget the justice that, uh, the Supreme Court justice, um, that stood up and said this is not right. You got Kavanaugh and you got Amy. No, it wasn't him. No, it was somebody. No, it definitely wasn't Roberts. Uh, Roberts wasn't here. It was the other guy. Um, I can't remember his name. Alito. Alito Alito. Roberts. And Alito said, you know what, this isn't right. And I'm like, why is the Supreme Court weighing in on this and not Attorney General Barr? And this was the answer I got. It's not the role of the judiciary branch to question the election laws in the state. And I can agree with that. But is it not the role of the Attorney General when there's crimes going on in the state to be very proactive and investigate it? And it was funny because they're all like, well, yeah, he should do that. And I says, why isn't he? Why did this go to Alito at the Supreme Court, who has no jurisdiction over this? And so the plot against the president on Amazon Prime, and then have people come to their own conclusion. And the question is, was this election an extension of that coup d'etat to get Donald Trump out of there? And it's got an interesting thing on uh, Michael Flynn in there. And... Um, then you have to determine if it is a coup d'etat twice, what do we as law-abiding American citizens that believe in a constitutional republic, what options do we have left? And there's very few. And if, if we have any left, because you mentioned that we're starting to turn into Venezuela. This has been going on for quite a while because you've got to understand New York State passed the law a while back concerning gender uh, uh, pronouns, you know. Sure. You can get fined and you can get jailed if you use the wrong pronoun on, and someone of the LBGT XYZ LMOQ, whatever you want to call yourself, community. So you actually can be facing jail time and hefty penalties. Now they and have fired. a proposed. Uh, yes, uh, this bill is A four one six which basically is a detention. Uh, They can remove and detain anyone, quote, who may be a danger to public health. 
and they're using the alleged pandemic. They're using the COVID-19 as an excuse saying, well, but I read the bill and it starts off sounding as if they're worrying about, you know, a pandemic. So if someone knowingly is spreading the whatever germ disease or whatever it is out there, well, fine, I can understand because now that's basically criminal activity because you're placing other people deliberately in danger. That's exactly what they're doing. As you read through the bill, it suddenly becomes anyone like you or I, if they seem to feel that the way you and I think poses a danger to the public, can be detained. We can be held incognito. Oh, eventually it'll allow you to have legal representation when they feel that you're mentally able to handle it. This bill is so dangerous. That's in New York, that it, bill? That is in New York, and the state assembly uh, man that has put this in is N. Nick Perry. He's a Democrat. Come on, what do you well, expect? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, yep. he's a communist. But, what he is, you know, and we are heading into 1984. You know, China's already doing that in their country. Our country's doing that, yeah. and people. China. They're going to use this pandemic. Anytime you want to talk about China, I'll be happy to talk to you about China. Uh, We're pretty versed on that. But, you know, people are looking for the government to get rid of this virus. The government's not going to get rid of this virus. God and Mother Nature are going to get rid of this virus. Viruses do what viruses do. The government can make vaccines and and push that, and Trump did a remarkable job because normally you got two to five years to get a vaccine out, and he did it in less than a year because of the impetus he put on that and uh they throw him out of office um it's just it, it's just amazing and it disgusts me the direction this country is going in and i haven't decided what my next play is going to be but it's i'm not one to sit on the sidelines um and just roll up and and have a jelly backbone <laughs> Well, you're always welcome here. That's for, that's for sure. But you know, when you talk that time, when I've interviewed General Spalding and my my dear dear friend Gordon Chang, I, I've known him now since the start yeah. of the Tea Party back in 2009. Or you talk about you know with my other friend Trevor Loudon, who I met the same time I met Gordon Chan, you know, also a very dear friend. Uh, I mean, we can talk China all day because people don't realize a lot of these 5G, the fifth generation networks that are being put up, are controlled by China. And China has facial recognition apps on your devices, on your laptops, your cell phones, your iPads, whatever smart device you have. And they can tell from your face basically what you're thinking. And they use that against their own people. Well, they do. And they have over a billion CCT cameras. And they monitor their citizens, and they give them a good citizen score. And if you don't cut, get the the grade, you get um, you get so many restrictions from travel to banking to business opportunities. And they monitor you, and they'll even tell people if you're walking down the street and you have debt that you owe, the person that you're walking by will get an alert on their phone. This person's bad debt, and. You know, that's they're doing that today, and Xi Jinping and the Communist Party has offered that to Venezuela, to Maduro. Uh, Putin wants it. The Ayatollahs want it. And any despotic government is going to take it because it's the ultimate way to control your citizens. And the Democrats, from what you said, I agree, are going to do the same thing. Oh, Annie and Curtis aren't wearing a mask. They fall into this category. 
we need to put them on a watch list. Curtis is a Christian, or or Curtis writes all these articles that seem to be very conservative in nature and maybe could be viewed as anti-government, so we need to put him on a no-fly zip list. And, um, you know, they're going to electronic money more, and, you know, they'll just say, you know what, this group, we're going to cut off their money. We're in a dangerous situation. You want to hear a really funny story. I, I've, it was either Hurricane Matthew or the one that came through before that, um, and we hunkered down. We're, we're survivalists, basically. We just hunkered down. We've got the generators going, blah, blah, blah. And I needed a little extra gas with a generator. So I found out that some of the gas stations locally were up and running. So I grabbed my stepson, and I says, you know, I'm going to go get some gas. Come with me because I can't lift the heavy gas can." So he goes with me, and I'm figuring, well, if if they're using backup power for the pumps, their registers may not be working, so I'm going to bring cash with me. You know, you figure, you know, during a hurricane, cash yeah. will be king. They refused yeah. it. They said, got to go over to the pump and use your credit card. And I said, really? I want $20 worth of gas, and I'm taking only $20 worth of gas. I want you to take the $20. I don't want to use a credit card. No, 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 no. We can't take any cash, period. And I'm like, what? You would that think- is becoming so common, too. Yeah. I was up in D.C., oh, oh, you- and um, we went to a restaurant just to get a, a sub, and no cash. It was all credit cards. Well, you know, I was going through the Dollar Tree, and I turned around, and I said, oh, geez, I'm going to get my hair cut, so I need probably a, an extra five bucks for a tip. I go to a barber shop, honestly. <laughs> I don't go to a woman's <laughs> salon anymore. I'm sorry. Curtis and I, I Curtis and I don't go that often. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not paying eighty five dollars for a haircut when my barber can do the same oh, exact job. A better job for nineteen dollars. I'm not a cheap. Good for you. Smart. Well, I just turned around and said, "All right, you know, normally let you take a couple of dollars extra cash when you go through with your debit card." You know what they said? Yeah. No. If, if you're using your debit card, we can't give you any cash because you know, no one really? uses cash anymore. And I said, what? <laughs> what state was yeah, this it, and it, where you live now? South Carolina. South Carolina. Wow. And you're right. They're Nobody's... away from in cash. And I even see these signs saying, we'll take Bitcoin. And I'm going, excuse me? <laughs> really? Yeah. You'll take Bitcoin, but you won't take a, a $5 bill or whatever. Yeah, it, it, and it is. You need to have an electronic digital fingerprint, and that's what they're doing. They want to be able well, to track you. Now, how many people realize that if you've got Google on your smart device, it tracks exactly wherever you go? So you, it knows your move. <laughs> I get a I kick out of people say, well, I don't want. I don't want anybody spying on me, and but yet they got their cell phone, and uh, these people are so a clueless, and you know everything gets stored in the cloud. They don't have a clue who controls the cloud, and uh, um, we have given up our, our privacy and freedoms in this country. It just hasn't been well, controlled we, yet. Well, it looks like we got a caller in from Michigan. Her name is Kathy. She wants to ask you a question, Congressman Ted Yoho. Go ahead, yeah, go Kathy. ahead, Miss Kathy. Hello? Yeah, you're on. Hello? <laughs> yes, you're on. Kathy, go ahead. I had to turn up the heat. I'm where it's cold. And, uh, 
It's cold. I just had to plug in my phone, too. I'm uh, down to 2%, 3%. Um, okay, so I had a couple things. Um, <laughs> I just don't feel like you can probably answer it on public radio, but isn't there anything we can do to stop this? Kathy, what we have to do is we have to speak to our representatives, and if they're not doing – and you follow them on every vote. And you let them know um, um, that what they're doing is not acceptable, and we've got to throw them out. The other thing is we have got to get the young people educated on what's going on in this country and what they're just fixing to lose. Um, you know, when you have this cancel culture out there, you have we've got to take these statues down because they represent a patriarchy, slavery, all this stuff. We need to celebrate where we came from as a country when this country was founded to where we are and we're not a perfect country because there's people like me in it but yet when you compare it to the around the world this is the best country to live in and we have just got to be vocal we cannot be silent anymore and the thing is that we want to do is follow the law as much as we can but as if you've been listening to this there is a there is pressure building up in this country that I have never seen. I'm 65 years old, and um, it's more contentious in the 60s during integration, as terrible as that was. When we came out of that, we were a better country. But I have my Democrat friends in Washington saying we're more racist today than we've ever been. We're more this than we've ever been. We're more um, um, condescending and equality to women than we've ever been. And I'm like, I don't believe that's true, and I don't accept that. We still have flaws that need to be corrected, but we're a hell of a lot better than we were. And um, I think the other thing you can do is uh, do like Annie and Curtis do, do blogs, write editorials, and counter people with truth. When they tell you this is uh, like AOC and them are telling people that it's okay to shoplift if you've got to feed your family. And that was my whole contact with her. To I, I said, I, I just want to verify that you really did mean this. She turned that whole thing into that this was an attack on her, that I called her that. She knows I didn't call her that. She's admitted I didn't call her those bad words. But she turned this whole thing into misogyny, patriarchy, racism. Uh, this is all against women of color. No, it's not. It's against your idea and your policy advocating for shoplifting on people versus a program that we have that the government sponsors called welfare. And um, if we're not willing to do that, they have canceled your your beliefs. And I know that was a long answer, but that's what we can do. And we just have to show up in the polls and uh, uh, question our um, our candidates, especially the liberal ones. Well, okay, well, Ted, you well, can tell I, that. I, oh, I'm sorry, Kathy. I was going to say to both of you, to, to you and Ted, Ted, you can answer for this because I do know this. When you contact your elected official, they keep a log and they know, you know, if you visited the office, if you made a phone call, if you sent an email, you sent a letter, they keep track of that and yep. they will follow Absolutely. up with you. Now, I get emails. I was getting emails from uh, Beer Can Joe, and you know who I'm talking about, <laughs> Ted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we were outside his office deliberately. Picketing him, Beer Can Joe <laughs> just got to go. <laughs> of course, he leaves the yeah. floor with the Beer Can too. Uh, so now in the right. but 
they know that you're active and that you're contacting them, and they do listen. You know, I had a friend that was working in his office. She was a Republican, but they sit down and they will talk to him. So don't be afraid. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, I know they. I know they're they hearing. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was okay. going to say their okay. hearing gets more acute right around the election time. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I know I that. I believe everything you're saying, and it's just that, um, and I'm very, very vocal. I I try to be nice, and I I try to find a way to relate to people. I I have to go um, to medical appointments every week, so I haven't really been locked down ever because I. I have urgent needs to go to medical appointments sometimes several times a week and um, go to different hospitals every week for different things. And so I, I get out and I talk to people wherever I go, whether it's a nurse, my doctor is listening to me, people at the grocery store. And I just I just talk to people wherever I go. And I, I bring up the subjects of, you know, and um, that we're talking about. And I just tuned in and found you guys because I'm looking at the, the blog and um, – Anyway, I'm just looking at the opportunities that are available. So, um, we have podcasts. So, podcasts. Um, the point is that everything was done legally that we could do. The courts didn't want to hear us, uh, didn't, didn't want to hear these issues, and they weren't even rejected. And I have a friend that I think I'm losing a few friends, which I don't mind because they're just, um, they say that they're conservative, but their their talk is very uh very leftist, very liberal, and very intolerant, and I of um, of people, you know, our president and and other things, and and they don't want to speculate that this could have happened or this could happen, and so I just feel like, well, everybody doesn't have to agree with me, but if they're close to me, they don't have to make me feel insulted either. That you know what I believe is not, and if I believe in the president, it's not a good thing or something. So. All I'm saying is that, okay, listening to, um, uh, let me see now. He's on Fox Radio. He has a Fox TV, or anyhow, the Fox Network. I'm trying to think. I, um, he's a tall, tall, younger fellow that has uh, very glib with his words. I'm going to say Tucker, Tucker Carlson. So he was saying mm-hmm. last night, yes, yes, this violence is bad. And, you know, all conservatives would say it's bad. It's terrible. It's awful. You know, I'm sitting there going like, you know, everything has been tried legally. Um, most of us out here, and like I said, we talk to tons of people, especially. We have got the last few months, we've gotten a, a wonderful, wonderful, um, what do you call it, education in politics that we never knew before. We admire so many people like yourself. I can tell you're one of those people we admire. What, what is your name again? Ted Yoho. Yoho, okay. So, um, and you're a senator or representative from Florida? He, he was a I retired. I ran on term. I ran on term limits, uh, four terms, okay. and I, I, oh, I really? stuck to that. Okay. I sure did. And that's, for, that's for senator. No, U.S. House of Representatives. Okay. Okay. No, I just didn't know that there was a, a term limit. It just seems like a lot of people stay in office a long time, but the senators also they have do. That? No, mine mine was self imposed. I told people oh. I'd serve four four terms, oh. eight years because they George Washington stepped down after eight years and he could have stayed there forever. 
but he knew for the betterment of this country that they should pass the baton off to the next generation, and I truly believe in that. Yeah, yeah, as long as it's a good person you're passing it to. (laughs) Some of the older people are the better people. But anyway, um, okay, so everything's been tried. (laughs) Yeah, you're, you're you're not too old at all. You're doing a fine job today. I just, like I said, I just tuned in a few minutes before I came on, but I'm I'm already familiar with a lot of how you are and what you're talking about because we have really, and of course, being home a lot, people are listening to radio more. They're listening to um, speakers and um, Patriot News and Newsmax and um, Tucker Carlson and some other people from Fox that um, are reasonable people. They're conservative people and. And they're not afraid to speak out. We really like um, Eric Metaxas, and then there's uh, uh, the one that has the um, university. Um, well, Kat, Kat, um, Dennis, Prager, Dennis Prager. And, um, yeah, Prager you. So anyway, but my my son said last night, he said, uh, well, in the middle of the night, we were up listening and feeling depressed, and uh, Dennis Prager was... He says their language is changing, Mom. And so, like Dennis Prager both and uh, Tucker Carlson were both, um, Tucker was a different middle of the night, but Dennis had, had listed something late last night. And then but Tucker's talk from must have been from last evening or yesterday, they both were seeming like they were getting more fed up and actually speaking out more plainly about the left and about what's happened. And so I'm just saying that, what Tucker ended with saying was, even though this is so violent, what happened and so awful, um, we are of the belief that, and the and the videos show that um, guards or whatever they were called around the Capitol let people in. They let people in, and we also um, believing that there may there or there I should say there was some supporters, but there was also Antifa people, and there's. Uh, matching uh, photos from other right. events. Right, and QAnon was in there. Yeah. Yeah, because so, yeah, anyway. we, we covered this earlier, and there's going to be an investigation. We do know that, and we're finding out as the bookings are coming through that some of these were actually leaders in BLM and Antifa. They've already identified yeah. some right. key yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. So it's also so coming out. Right. But, um, yeah. but, we've only but got, to say we only got that the, our president... That to say that our president, I don't think I don't know if it's true that that this is what we caught last night that he is going to make um, maybe possibly pardon himself, and then uh, my son said, yeah, but they're saying that um, Biden would uh, haunt him and maybe prosec- try to prosecute him any time in the future, even if um, nothing has happened before his term ends, and I, I'm just thinking. They just are so afraid of him that they want to stop him from ever, ever, ever being able to be in any, any elected office at all. But I don't right. think he should. Right, Kathy, I'm going to have to go here. Kathy, I'm going to have to yeah. uh, go, and I'm going to leave you. But um, you know, I appreciate you being on. I appreciate you being engaged, and never, never, never give up on this country. No, and, but um, the thing well, I really want Kathy, to say, ask you. I'm sorry, I was kind of going roundabout. But the thing I really wanted to ask you was, um, so Tucker was saying that, um, you know, violence is terrible. But then he led up to the point where, but everything else is tried. And like so many people we've heard of and know and spoken to feel, and, and 
people like you, not you, I'm not going to quote you because you didn't say this, but other people of people that I've mentioned feel and have put in our brains across America, those of us who feel this way, that there won't be another chance because they're not going to let us conservatives get a majority in office, and not even in office, but even in voting, so how can we change the right. so that Kathy, I appreciate uh, that, but i got to go. Thank you. Thanks a lot, appreciate Kathy, for the call. I'm going to put you on mute well, so you can I, listen in. i got to, because we're running short on uh, time here. But, Ted, um, yes, ma'am. I had so much fun to talk to you about, because we do know that they're already trying to find ways to prosecute. They were talking about impeachment. They're talking about the 25th Amendment. Right. And it, Right now, they feel that they have the power. They now they've got the House, they've got the Senate, and they've got the White House. So we've got to have to be really on guard on what we're looking at um, because they've tried this before. If you remember, at one point they went after veterans sure. and said, "Well, if you're a veteran, then you must be part of the yep. bad guys. We've got to take guns away." Uh, they're doing this. That now was uh, Miss Napolitano. It sure was. Yeah. And. And so go we just need to go back to them and say, you know, you guys just ran on bringing the nation together. Going after Trump out of hate and despise, you know, your despisement form and disdain form, is that really fulfilling what you wanted to do? Or were you just giving us lip service again and you're, you're separating this nation more and more? You need to do like Gerald Ford did. They could have carried that uh, that impeachment out, but he pardoned Nixon, put it to rest, healed the nation. Joe Biden needs to do that, and he needs to be the leader to do that. I've got to go. Um, uh, Curtis, thank you for the invite. Annie, thank you. And uh, you all have a wonderful day, and keep up the great job. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get you back. Again. Yeah, we'll be talking. Have a good Enjoy day. your, your mini vacation. <laughs> All right. That was uh, former Congressman Ted Yoho out of the great state of Florida. But Curtis, you know, we're going to see attacks on those of us that are concerned. We already see uh, the shadow uh, banning in uh, social media that's been going on now for the last couple of years. You know, I've been proud to say Reddit shadow banned me. I've, I'm shadow banned on several different uh, social uh, websites. Yeah. But we've got to remain active. And we've got to remain optimistic because, you know what, somewhere along the way in the Bible, Revelation says we win in the end. We've got to have faith. Yeah, we're going to lose some battles, but we've got to also know which battles to pick, which ones that we feel is most important to go after. And right now, the attacks, the um, cancel culture that we are seeing against conservatives is, is we've got to counter that. We've got to demand that the Constitution be adhered to, that they do not go after our free speech, like Nancy Pelosi's bill does, um, like this New York State uh, detention order that's been proposed um, by that state assemblyman. You know, it, we have to be aware that we're going to be under constant attack and not give up. Curtis, well, you got an opinion? The way, oh, yeah, I... I believe it's already happening, um, censorship. Because like I said, um, I sent out a couple of tweets not too long ago, about a week and a half ago, and it was to a link where we had a conservative speaking on conservative matters. 
And it wasn't anything derogatory or anything. It was the truth. And within two days, it was gone. And I get a little notice saying, you know, it violated their community, whatever, you know. And and I'm talking about, um, yeah, YouTube did this to me. So it's, it's, you know, people hear about these things happening, but it's a different thing when it happens to you. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? Y'all going to cut me off because I y'all don't agree with what I'm saying? What kind of country is this? It's like China, you know. They do not allow their people to listen to a lot of outside sources for their news and things. And this is what this country is beginning to turn into, a, a communist, like, fortress. They, they have these algorithms that if you use the word like COVID or Wuhan, they're automatically going to take whatever you posted down. It doesn't matter. You may have been wishing someone happy birthday and just for the fun of it, put the hashtag in there. You know, it doesn't matter what the actual content is. It's their algorithm. And who does that? It is the individuals running that, that company, whether it's Facebook, TikTok, Instagram. And they say, all right, I want anything that's connected with this to automatically be taken down. And, all right, oh, I got a funny feeling that we may have our next guest in. Um, this is possibly, let me bring this person in Special online. Agent I'm hoping that that's who we have calling in. Uh, Erica919, is this our next guest, uh, Agent Victor Avila? No, this is actually Ryan, and Dr. Carol Lieberman is calling you at the 310 number, and she's readily available. Uh, so I sent you a quick note just to tell you that she's on hold, and she's, she can't wait to talk to you guys. Oh, all right. Uh, I don't see that note, honestly. Yep. Okay. She's in the, see, I sent you a quick email on it. I sent you before, and, but she's, on, she's at the 310 number on hold, and you're in the queue. Three one zero. I'm looking for that. in the. I don't see it in the queue. All right, I'll ask her. Well, I'll call back in. All right, thank all you right, so much. I'll right now. I've got my next guest joining us in about two minutes too. Okay. Awesome. I'll have her call. Thank you. All right. Please. Well, sorry about that, guys. All right. Um, anyway, uh, now I just lost my train of thought. Where was I, Curtis? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were talking about censorship and things like that, you know, how I got censored by YouTube. And then you came in. But then I think that, that, that phone call disrupted, distracted Yeah, I'm us. sorry. Yanni's has not learned how to use the microphone yet. He has to learn. He has to speak directly into the microphone. <laughs> he hasn't, he hasn't uh, worked that out yet. Okay, go ahead. Yes, dear. About, so, you know, they, uh, somebody sitting down and dropping, as soon as they see the, what they don't want coded in, it drops it. That's what you Oh, have. yeah. All right, yeah. let's see. Uh, all right, I, I've got a Skype call, so let me see who this caller is. And come on, computer. There we go. We've got a Skype caller in on the line. You're on the line live uh, with Southern Sense. I'm your hostess, Annie the Radio Chick. To whom am I speaking? I hope it is to me, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Hi, Dr. Hi. Lieberman. Yeah. We, I'm also waiting for our next guest, uh, Victor, uh, 
teeth and backwards. Victor yes, Avila, I, 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 was told, I was told to call in at one o'clock to be your next guest or to be your guest at that time. Uh, well, right now it's two thirty our time. So I, I meant, the time I meant, I'm talking about I'm talking about Pacific Standard Time. Yes, I meant two o'clock your time. Uh, yeah, so we're a little bit behind here. Anyway, um, you uh, believe. Now I'm trying to remember what what your thing was um, about the 25th Amendment. Correct? That was what you were. There we go. Your issue. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah, See, I, yeah. I have to dig facts up out of the back of my mind. Yeah, because we just had Congressman <laughs> Ted Yoho on, uh, and he yes. term limit himself, so Kat Kamach is in there. So they've been talking about invoking the 25th Amendment, and you know, you have a unique take on that. Well, yes, I, and I listened to him for the last half hour. Um, well, yes, I first of all, I think that uh, that all, I agree with everything that he was talking about, and I think that what has been happening and how this election has been stolen is outrageous. And now to add insult to injury, um, there has been some talk about invoking the 25th Amendment, which essentially would be, um, it's the amendment that allows uh, Congress to replace the president uh, because of death, removal, resignation, or incapacitation. And the idea would be to say that Trump um, was mentally incapacitated because of his allowing the people to storm the Capitol. Well, first of all, it was not Trump who caused the people to storm the Capitol. Um, it was he did give a rally, and it was uh, I listened to I was listening from early in the morning till late at night. I saw the whole thing. I listened to his whole rally, and um, uh, he did. You know, in a sense, uh, people were outraged when they listened to what he had to say because he summarized some of the things, uh, some of the ways in which the election was stolen. And so, yes, did that make people outraged? And did some of the people, because there was Antifa and BLM and and QAnon and all that people, you know, radical people in the group who wanted to make it look bad for Trump, they went in and they stormed the Capitol and now everybody's blaming Trump. But um, in no way is he unfit. I mean, in fact, I can't imagine there aren't many people who would be able to mentally be able to uh, uh, continue to work the way that he did, did, doing all the things that he did for four years with the amount of hate and the amount of, of disruption and impeachment and Russian hoax and all of this stuff that went on and yet he muddled through and he did more than muddle but he went through and he made such amazing achievements which is why a lot of people in washington are scared and why they want to get rid of him they are frightened of him they are deadly frightened of him because they've never had to uh deal with someone with his power magnetism and personality yes absolutely Absolutely. And I don't know if you, do you know about, did, did you perhaps talk about this earlier, The um, what has just happened in the way of the Italian, there, there's a, a um, hashtag now, Italy did it. Do you know about the what was just discovered uh, this morning? Um, well, I found out about it this morning and it was pretty much breaking. Um, there is someone in Italy who is a senior IT expert at a global defense contractor um, named Leonardo Satellites, uh, that's the company, 
and he has come forward and testified and signed an affidavit admitting that he was told to do things that he then realized afterwards uh, resulted in changing votes from Trump to Biden. Yeah, I caught that last night. Yes, I did catch that last night. Uh, Dr. Carroll, we do also have our next guest in. Uh, I apologize. I did not realize that the Skype call was you because sometimes we get a troll coming in on Skype. So I apologize for not bringing you in on earlier. Did you want to hang out with us? Because it's Special Agent Victor Avila, who was uh, Jamie Zapata when he was brutally murdered. So I want to welcome onto the show Special Agent Victor Avila. He is the author of a new book out called Agent Under Fire, A Murder and a Manifesto. And it is a whopper. I'm telling people they've got to pick this book up. Welcome, Victor. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you, sir, for your service. Um, it's a very interesting book because it gives us an insight to the inner workings on uh, our nation's security and the things that you agents have to go through. Um, you have a very interesting background. Now, you're first-generation American. You're the child of immigrants. I'm only second-generation American. So I understand the idea and the ideals of having legal immigration. And this is basically everything that you've been working on all your life, your professional life. Absolutely right. And, uh, and I'm glad you, you, you started with that because I do mention that in the book. I do pe- give people the background that uh, I am the product of the American dream. My parents came, came here and immigrated here legally and I'm a big, big uh, proponent of legal immigration. It's the illegal immigration that, that I oppose, especially the criminal illegal immigration. And so uh, that's, that's a, a lot of the expertise and, and experience that I have in, in dealing with that. Of course, along with that, the narcotics and trafficking, the arms trafficking, human trafficking, and, and many other things, uh, especially in police tactics about what happened yesterday. But the book devils into a little bit of my background, of course, uh, I go into detail about the ambush and the attack that we uh, went through in 2011, which uh, the 10-year anniversary is actually coming up next month. It was February 15, 2011, uh, when Agent Jaime Zapata and I were traveling on Highway 57 from Mexico City to Monterey, and on our way back, were ambushed by members of the Zeta Cartel in a very violent fashion, they uh, uh, shot over 90 rounds of AK-47s and handguns at our armored vehicle. They were able to introduce uh, uh, a rifle and a gun in, uh, in the crack of the window on my passenger side that I explained in the book how that happened and uh, uh, unfortunately opened fire and, and uh, tragically Agent Zapata uh, gave his life for our country at that point. I was shot three times and and by the grace of God, I'm here talking to you. I, uh, I am a person of faith and believe that God did not want to take me that day for another purpose. And so I also, part of my purpose was to write this book to continue the memory of Swajan Jaime uh, Zapata and to uh, really inform people of what's going on. And first of all, that this happened. This, uh, uh, at, coming up on 10 years, there's many people that don't even know that a U.S. agent was killed in a line of duty in Mexico. And so uh, part of my duty, I think, is to uh, inform as, as many people as I can, share the story. And then along with what comes with that is, is border security and what the threat that we face from the Mexican cartels, 
uh, illegal immigration, terrorism, and, you know, sanctuary cities, you name it. I cover the second part of my book is that what I call the manifesto is real-world solutions of what we can do to attack and, and solve some of these issues and problems. Well, we're going to be talking about a lot of that. Now, um, I'm entering into my 11th year of doing the broadcast here. We're nearing 1,000 broadcasts. Uh, amazing. Uh, but I remember when all of this went down, because this was around the time of Fast and Furious, uh, Brian Terry, and now uh, Jamie Zapata. And these are all things that we discussed, because uh, it's all, as you know, near and dear to me. And as uh, law enforcement officers, uh, we have a unique way of looking at things, um, but the average civilian doesn't understand the stress and strain of that of the job. Um, I do remember the very first time I almost shot someone in the line of duty. He came at me with a knife, and you know that bulletproof vest does not stop a knife. And it, with That's the new right. rounds out there, sometimes it doesn't even stop. I got home and I had the next two days were off. I actually shook. But what also happens is that as law enforcement officers, we don't seek the mental health uh, to help us work through the stress and strain we are on. You end up with a stigmatism. And that was also an additional burden we carry. Oh, oh my goodness. I, I actually mentioned that in the book because I, I went through a traumatic event. I was diagnosed with PTSD and I had a very, very difficult time right after the shooting uh, with several issues with my identity as an officer, as an agent, a law enforcement officer. All of a sudden, uh, I wasn't able to do my job that I've been doing for almost 20 years. And I tell people, whatever you do right now, stop doing it. What would you do? And so I had to go through this identity crisis of what, what, what's going to be my future like because that was my, you know, I love my job and I love doing that. So I'm, uh, I speak a lot in my, my uh, personal speaking engagements, and I go out and speak in conferences uh, uh, to a lot of law enforcement groups and uh, church groups. And, and I talk about that, I, the mental wellness, the officer wellness. I mean, 2020 was a record of officer suicides. And, and so the mental well-being of our law enforcement officers is, is as, as important as the physical that's always been there. And so I, I, I try to bring some awareness to that as well. Well, when um, I was in, you know, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Dr. Carroll. Well, I was just going to add, as a psychiatrist, I thought I would um, comment that, um, you know, one of the things that is really uh, very worrisome, first of all, thank you for your service, of course, but one of the things that, you know, as we are in this uh, time of defund the police and all of that and, and all of these riots all over America, um, it is getting harder and harder to find people who are willing to uh, sacrifice their life or take this chance of being a police officer or, or the, or an agent um, because of how much more dangerous it is in, in by, because of mobs and how uh, civilization people are not, people are, are pushing the envelope so much further in terms of how violent that they get in these mobs. Um, and it is just, you know, our country is really at a very, at a breaking point in a lot of different ways, but including making sure that we have enough people who are willing to serve in these kinds of um, positions where they, to protect us. You're absolutely right, mm-hmm. doctor. Uh, we've had ro- record numbers of officers leaving the job. We have uh, a very hard time of, of, 
uh, law, law enforcement agencies recruiting. You're absolutely right. Um, I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and Dallas PD is down 400 police officers. And, and, and it doesn't help when you're defunding them. Um, they defunded the overtime pay, which is something that police officers have relied on all their careers. In Austin, Texas, they, they cut $50 million from the budget. LAPD, $150 million. So uh, what signal are we sending to the public that um, we're not going to respect law enforcement and the police? And, you're, and it's not the same when you were pulled over, a police officer pulled someone over uh, even 10 years ago versus today. The threats are very mm-hmm. different and, and a lot more, more serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I came out mm-hmm. of, of NYPD, so I look at the men and women there now, and I'm going, I, my mom looked at me, and she goes, would you do the job now? And I says, I don't know. I honestly can't answer that. Um, the person I was back then, which was, I left 24 years ago. I retired 20. Wow. can't believe that. Holy cow. Time flies when you're having fun. Um, but it was a very, very different job back then compared to today. And back then we didn't, we, no one was ever diagnosed with something called PTSD. We had no idea what it was. And God forbid that you went to psych services, they put you on the rubber gun squad, and there goes the rest of your career. The stigmatism of dealing with the mental stress in itself is a huge stressor. Um, Today, doing the job that they're doing today, heaven forbid, the the poor men and women over there in NYPD. And um, I worked with the current PBA president, Patty Lynch. He was from my command. The command I walked out of, I, I retired from, was the one where Serpico was shot. So you can imagine the type of field I was thrown into. But, you know, the job today with nonstop cameras, with social media filming everything, and Lord knows how, you know, the slants are with the media. Yeah, How do these men and women decide to dedicate their lives to protect and serve when they feel that the moment they do their job, they may be arrested? And I'll, I'll add to that in that um, uh, we see uh, policies, and, and I have a chapter on sanctuary cities in my book, and and uh, it goes kind of hand in hand with ha- what's happening in New York with the bail reform system. It's a revolving door. You know, in, you heard about you know the sanctuary cities that will not notify ICE to uh, to come and pick up these criminal aliens that have already by, by committed a, a crime, that's why they're in jail. Uh, ICE is not out there picking them up from their house. These are people that are encountered by the police because they committed a crime and are in jail, and they refuse to uh, notify ICE officials, immigration officials, to get them and process them to after either, either they're done or even if they're going to get released from their, their, their uh, custody to have the opportunity to have ICE process them and remove them uh, and deport them back to their to their home country, and what they're doing is they're getting released these illegal alien criminals back into the community of where they came from, and so they go and victimize their own communities. Uh, and so the the the, the um, this rhetoric and this uh, explanation by the left and these democratic cities saying that they're protecting the community is actually quite the opposite is they're putting the community and even the immigrant community more at risk when they release these criminal aliens right back into society. And we've seen it with the statistics. They will commit another crime. And in some cases, we got MS-13 gang members 
these horrific gangs, and, and, and I, I talk a lot about the cartels and how they're infiltrated in our country. If you think they're just in Mexico, they are not. They're in our country in almost every community, every state, plus 40 countries around the world. These, uh, the, the violent spikes that we've seen because uh, people from jail and prison are being released uh, because of COVID reasons or for whatever reason, these, these uh, democratic cities are, 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 are using as an excuse to release people from custody. Um, it's also it's the cartels in, in, in these cities spreading the poison, the fentanyl, the, fe- the methamphetamine that's coming in record numbers right now, by the way. Um, uh, and they're out there seeing the product being distributed. And that attributes to the violence uh, and the spike in violence that we've seen in 2020. I mean, these statistics are incredible. Uh, some cities up to 90% of increase in crime. Uh, Dallas, 24%. I mean, I have a chart there that is just incredible, the amount, amount of, of violence that we've seen because it's a factor of all of the above that I just mentioned. But one of the biggest ones is the cartel and the influence that the organized crime has in our, uh, our country. You know, it, it, it's not a new problem. It is an old problem. It's just now, uh, because we haven't been dealing with it efficiently and well and legally, um, they feel that, hey, listen, they're not going to enforce the laws so we can get away with whatever we want. So the next thing we have is we have these massive caravans. Now, um, are you, uh, Victor, are you aware of a former ICE agent by the name of Michael Cutler? No, I do not him. No, no, him. Michael Cutler. Right. He's testified. He's testified before the nine eleven commission. I've known Mike Cutler for oh. over thirty years. I know who and, he is. Um, I wasn't familiar with the name, but I know who he is. Okay. Well, Mike Cutler is a dear friend of mine. Um, he worked upstairs. I was in the nine zero precinct, and upstairs was the borough. He worked with the detectives upstairs. He three times he deported this very same illegal alien, and this was in the 80s. This alien returned a fourth time to murder an on-duty police officer, a friend of mine, Bob Machati. This has been going on for decades, and we have not gotten a hold of it. It's been a revolving door with illegal immigration. And now the, the stressors that is being placed on not just not just law enforcement, but now everyday society, because no anyone, anyone out there can become a victim. Look at that poor teenage girl out in Brentwood, Long Island, New York. Now, I grew up in Brentwood. It was a bedroom community. My husband grew up in Brentwood. It was a small local bedroom community, and MS-13 has taken it over. So it's the guy next door, your family, is, is just as much of a victim as now the law enforcement. That's correct. And, and you mentioned the caravans. And um, just uh, about a week and a half ago, there was 400 Cubans that rushed the, a port of entry in El Paso, Texas, coming over from Juarez, Mexico. They rushed the, uh, the, board, uh, the port of entry, uh, the Paso del Norte the port of entry, chanting Biden, 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 as they oh. ran and tried to encourage and come over, uh, encouraging over to our country. And CBP did a great job in holding them back. And this is this is already 10 days ago. What's going to happen in, uh, 10 days from now, right? Uh, they already have in their mind the message that it's going to be an open border and they're going to allow us all in. The policies, and by the way, our border 
it has is a little bit more secure in the last four years, but it's still not quite there. It comes down to border security because, in my mind, border security equals national security. And so all of a sudden, they, we are sending the message. The Biden administration is clearly sending the, the, the message that, come on over. And so we're going to see these asylum seekers that, uh, unfortunately, and this has nothing to do with being a humanitarian. You know, I'm all for legal immigration, like I said. And it's unfortunate that these people that come from these countries that do, are not taken care of by their country um, do not qualify for the asylum laws that we have in the books. We haven't changed the asylum laws here. They've been the same for years and years and years. And the, and the Immigration and, and, and Naturalization Act, we, never, we haven't changed the books. They're the same. It's just the interpretation of how uh, the asylum laws have been interpreted. And so this Remain in Mexico, for example, policy that President Trump said, uh, uh, taking care of the catch and release, uh, a lot of people think, oh, we catch them and release them back to Mexico. No, we're catching them and releasing into the, them into the United States and, and for the most part never to see them again. And so the remain in Mexico or remain in your own country to seek asylum is a right policy, I think. But that's probably going to go away under a Biden administration. And uh, our men and women of Border Patrol and CBP down there are getting prepared because they're gonna, we're going to see the same thing happen again. Remember when we saw the 700,000 people, it ended up being over hundreds of thousands of people coming over. Just wait and see what happens on January 20th. Well, and another, and another thing that uh, we need to think about oh, I'm is, sorry. Um, another thing we need to think about is terrorism. Um, after 9-11, you mentioned 9-11, and after that, I'm a New Yorker born and bred, and after 9-11, I became the terrorist therapist, uh, helping people deal with the memories of 9-11 and also being under the ongoing threat of terrorism. And there are studies um, that show, you know, information and statistics that show that people are coming through uh, on the on the Mexico border. So there's that too. If there once the more people that are coming across, the more the easier it will be for real terrorists to, uh, you know, ISIS type terrorists to slip through. I talk about. I have a chapter in my book, and I talk about them. We call them special interest aliens that come from special interest countries. We call them SIAs. And, and yes, they are in Mexico. I interviewed them in Mexico at in, in Mexican immigration detention centers. But Mexico, even though they do detect them and capture them for a couple of months, they release them. And, and they release them into their country and saying, you have to leave Mexico within 30 days. Well, guess what? In three days, they're seeking asylum in, uh, in California. Uh, and guess what? Those come from countries that, that are that they are being oppressed. They're coming from Bangladesh. They're coming from Somalia, um, and these are high alert countries. Uh, and we're talking about terrorism here. And these individuals are very, very different than than the migrant individuals that we see coming uh, to uh, the United States to to work. These individuals, we have no clue because they I interviewed many, many of them, and it's very hard to get any information as to where they're going and what the intentions are to come to the United States. And unfortunately, we have to release them into the country while they seek asylum. And again, they get lost in our communities, and we don't know where they're at and what they, what, what they want to do. 
Well, you know, I'm going to pull little memories up just to show I've got what a steel trap I got up up there underneath the gray hair. Um, I remember reading an article, and I don't remember if it's Time or Newsweek. It was one of those about OTMs, other than Mexicans coming across the Mexican border. And at that point, it would be either somewhere around 1980, 1991, and they were describing Qurans and prayer shawls uh, being left in the desert as they were coming over, pretending to be uh, uh, Latino, in fact, where they would be coming from Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, uh, India, China, uh, having signs already posted back then, reading in several different languages, including Chinese. So we've known about this, like I said, for decades. Now, Dr. Carroll, you'll find this interesting because I was on duty that day in February in 1993 when the World Trade Center was bombed the first time. I'm, uh-huh. My command was right across the Williamsburg Bridge, and... We sent guys over there flying like crazy. My sister-in-law was working inside the World Trade Center at the time that it it was attacked. So, you know, I have a firsthand knowledge of what was going on in New York City at that time. And no sooner did the bombs go off, oh, it's the Islamic terrorists, blah, blah, blah. Um, We also lived in an area, not lived, worked in an area with heavy Hasidim. So there was clashes now at that point between blacks and the Hasidims, between the Hasidims and the uh, Muslims. It was a very, very hectic time. Uh, By the time 9-11 hit, I had already retired. I was living in South Carolina. And so I knew what was going on over there, where they were going to be parking the equipment, where everything was going to be. And I also knew what the reports were from 93, and I said, if the planes fly in high, that building is going to come down. So there was warning signs out there. There were warning signs the whole long way, but no one paid attention to them. And since the 9-11 Commission has been uh, done, no one has followed followed any recommendation from inside the 9-11 Commission. So Hmm. what do we do? How do we deal with this? Uh, well, it's, you know, there's one word that explains it, denial. <laughs> Whether it's the people who should be following these recommendations or people who are just the American public, a lot of people are in such denial that a 9-11 could never happen here. And, in fact, with everything that's been happening, um, you know, with, well, with coronavirus and, and all of the unrest and so on, uh, terrorists have not gone away. I do a, a podcast, The Terrorist Therapist Show, And every week I do whatever is hottest in terror that week. And believe me, terrorists are just waiting to strike because, you know, there aren't a lot of people out in the streets because of lockdowns and so on. But they are seeing how much um, more vulnerable we are to attacks between both coronavirus and uh, all this unrest, you know, political and racial and every kind of unrest. They're they're biding their time and um, they haven't gone away. Doctor, you're right on board, and you're right on the money when it comes to that. Uh, I did an interview yesterday talking about what happened at the Capitol, and uh, my concern was exactly that, and I use that word, the vulnerabilities and uh, weaknesses that these terrorist organizations see in our country and how they're going to use it to their advantage to possibly uh, commit another terrorist attack. And, uh, and we cannot ignore that. Uh, you know, 
whatever happens in our country politically and as divided as we are right now, uh, I, I'm, I'm pushing for some kind of unity because everything else, like you just mentioned, doctor, has not, has not stopped Mexico and terrorists out there. By the way, I consider uh, some of these uh, Mexican uh, uh, cartels uh, foreign terrorist organizations, and I hope the government at one point would designate them as, as such. President Trump got close, but that's, I think, what, exactly what they are. And uh, the, the amount of people that they kill in the United States with the heroin epidemic, the fentanyl, and the methamphetamine, it, uh, and everyone's ignoring that. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, there was over, they already surpassed in Mexico the death rate from 2019, over 36,000 murders in Mexico this past year in 2020. And uh, imagine if we had that kind of rate of murders, and there are a, a population of 110 million. That's if we had a, a rate in the United States of 5 million homicides. Can you imagine um, what, how the United States would react if, if that's the amount of murders we were having around our country? And so uh, it's a direct correlation and direct impact because guess what? The cartels are working with China they get their precursor chemicals from China. They have the super labs to create the math and all the, the, uh, the, the fentanyl, and they, that's what they're bringing in. And so they have a strong relationship with China. And, yes, the smuggling. Uh, I did a big case of Chinese uh, smuggling from Mexico uh, to, to New York. And so we have to pay attention to those special interest aliens, the China connection, and, of course, the terrorism angle. Well, I made a notation a long time ago where there is a direct connection between the cartels and uh, terrorism and with the uh, uh, radical Islam. My brain's going through a couple little farts here, so forgive me. Uh, I already, huge, huge, especially with that triangle down in South America where they actually have training camps down there in the triangle, the no, no man's land. Um, we do know that the cartels have direct connections to Hezbollah through Mexico, Central America, and now here with MS-13 in the United States. And I questioned uh, a couple of my guests that are experts in terrorism, and Dr. Carroll, you probably can answer this, but when I saw the outbreak of Occupy, uh, then saw the outbreak of Antifa, The way I looked at them and watched their tactics and the manner of dressing and what they were doing, I said there has to be a direct connection to Hezbollah and ISIS to these groups here in the United States. We know there are sleepers here. There are people that came over on a visa. They violated that visa. They disappeared into the woodwork. We know they have to be working with these groups. Are you seeing this, Dr. Carroll? Yes, um, but it is still so quiet, kept so quiet. You know, I mean, it needs to be, it's just like when there's an an attack or something happens and um, it turns out that the news doesn't want to say that this is a possible terror attack. You know, that's the last thing that they talk about that this could be. Um, And yes, I think, you know, maybe the idea I'm sure that they're saying is that they don't want to frighten the American public, but the American public needs to know about these things uh, to keep safe, to, to enact laws. Uh, to do something, take some stronger action rather than keeping it all just hidden. And we only find out about it when something horrible happens. And yes, the more, the, the longer they are sleeper cells, the more they are able to formulate something like a 9-11. Yes, I, well, you know, I agree with that, doctor. Uh, and, and, and the FBI... Just to say you're right, that's... Uh, 
right about yeah, this. continues. The FBI continues to have a, a, a lot of, a, a, of these invest, investigations, and uh, I worked a lot with them on, and even on some of the, the still trainings that I do that they, they are able to provide to us uh, are, are directly related, not just the individuals coming from these uh, countries, but U.S. citizens that are being radicalized. And those are the, the lone, lone wolves that we, you know, mm-hmm. we're starting hearing about. And those are the scariest ones. Look at the national bombing that just happened last month. Uh, we don't know what, what kind of connections this person had. Uh, and, and, and so uh, there's going to be a deep investigation into this individual. But mm-hmm. uh, luckily, this person did not want to hurt anyone. Uh, obviously, that was, that was not his intention. He was more concerned with damaging the building. But nevertheless, we had this individual that uh, very little contact with law enforcement uh, and how many of these individuals are out there, but I know that they are. Well, this yeah. comes to a very interesting question here, Dr. Carroll, because if you notice the individuals they pick out, they are people that are socially inept. Uh, they don't have a lot of friends. Uh, they become estranged from their families. Uh, they feel like the world is against them, so they need something to hang on to. So rather than going to, say, Christianity and finding faith and company there, um, they want someone to tell them what to do, tell them what to think, and tell them where to be, so that way they feel like they're part of something. So we basically, I think, can start to put together a psychological profile for these people that are trying to recruit, can't we? Yes. Um, Now, the man in Tennessee that you were referring to, I actually think that he probably wasn't a a radical Islamist type terrorist because mainly because of, uh, you know, he wasn't trying to kill as many or injure as many people as possible, which is what they usually do. And I think he has uh, a lot of psychological problems that, you know, that could explain what he was doing. But, uh, but, but as you were saying, um, you know, that those are the people who, uh, the people who, I mean, it's kind of like people who join gangs, you know, people who have a broken family, people who feel like they're left out um, from society. Uh, they're looking for to be welcomed somewhere. And whether it's a gang or it's an ISIS group or, you know, they, they um, find uh, people who <laughs> supposedly care about them or pretend to. And so, yes, it's very um it's a very dangerous kind of situation, and um, we have we have to do more to to uh, stop people from becoming radicalized in the first place. I um, uh, I, I I write a little bit at the end of the book because uh, I've gotten this question before. Is like they ask me, Victor, what what are the factors that you've seen in your in your career when you know with these criminals? And even before I was a state parole officer and a federal probation officer. Um, and, and the two factors that were always, uh, uh, not always, but a very, very high percentage was the lack of the father in the home and drugs. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it was, it was almost without saying that there was, there was an absence of the father. There was a, the nucleus of the family did not exist and drugs were involved and it started with marijuana and, you know, marijuana and they moved up to other drugs, but it was uh, those two major factors that I think that I think we at this point in this uh, in this crossroads that we are we're facing in our country is going back to uh, to the nucleus of the family, uh, and and we, we've seen the statistics of the 
in the Latin community, the African-American community, uh, the lack of the father in the 70% uh, uh, tile. Uh, and, and that is a, a big, big issue because you're absolutely right. They seek the attention at the gangs. They seek possibly the attention of the recruiter from ISIS or anyone that will give them that attention, and, and that's how they get radicalized. They're, they're more susceptible right, as, uh, to, 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 uh, to get engaged a lot easier. We also have a disposable society. You know, especially today's day and age, somehow or other, we've dehumanized each other. You know, they did it where they started to go into the schools with sex ed. No, no, no. We're just teaching people about various diseases. And so, you know, we we make people healthy and they don't end up having reckless sex, whatever. Now it's now they teach them how to have sex. Uh, But also a disposable society where you don't actually have a real live friend you've got the number of likes and followers on instagram or tiktok yes. or whatever that it has become irobot isaac asmanoff predicted this irobot and that is what we've become and it's only acerbated by the pandemic and the lockdowns so now we zoom each other instead of going out and having a conversation having a handshake or a hug we're afraid oh heaven forbid we touch our fellow human being and then we, we we disguise ourselves behind the mask so you cannot read a person's uh emotions on their face and this becomes extremely difficult especially if you have a hearing impediment or you have a speech impediment then people can't understand you so we dehumanize so the only way we communicate is as we're doing right now through the internet through the World Wide Web, you become a voice on the other end, a thing, and no longer human. Hence, abortion's an easy thing to do. And what did the Chinese embassy uh, in New York uh, tweet out, was it yesterday, that the Uyghur women, the Uyghur women uh, were being made with childless so that they can't have children anymore, and they're happy and they feel free and I forget what the other word he used. Oh, excuse me. The second I said that, I said, are they sterilizing these women? That was the question. So that, don't worry, we don't have to worry about you having an abortion. We'll just sterilize you. And now you're liberated. You're free. You're empowered. What? Well, you know, they did something um, where uh, they have this program where they put the Uyghur men into these camps and then they send communist uh, favorable men, I mean, you know, favoring men, uh, into these women's homes. And, um, and they deny that the men are sleeping with the women, but of course they are. You know, that's a whole other show, dealing with the Uyghurs. But, you know, it's, it's, now we have a disposable society. So, hey, listen, um, you know, uh, you've got to feel bad for these illegal aliens coming across the border because they're being tossed away. And that's not what's going on here, Victor, is it? I mean, I've, I've no. arrested people, and I was told you cannot call ICE. Uh, but I know for a fact this guy's an illegal alien. Well, how do you know? Uh, you just you simply know as soon as you start talking to them that you've got on your hands an illegal alien. I mean, how many times did I transport someone to the hospital and they pull out Medicaid cards in all these different names? And you ask them, why do you have yeah. these different names? Of, oh, it's my cousins or this is my sisters or I'm just holding on to this for a friend. <laughs> really? 
I got a that's absolutely in true. Brooklyn just telling you. <laughs> that's absolutely true. And and that's part of the uh, extended sanctuary, sanctuary uh, policies, which I think are very dangerous policies. There was a case uh, about two years ago uh, in, uh, in Virginia County, uh, uh, Fairfax County, where a police officer responded to an accident and one of the, the drivers involved in the accident was an illegal alien. And, you know, the officer is doing his job, checks everybody, checks him out, and he happens to have a warrant, an ICE warrant, a deportation warrant, because he didn't show up to his hearing like many, many don't. And uh, he does the right thing. He checks them, hooks them up, uh, takes them down to the station and calls ICE. Well, the officer was suspended for doing that. Um, huh. And uh, eventually there was some outrage enough to, for him to get reinstated uh, in his job. But this is a sanctuary policy that comes, and I've been talking about this for a couple of years now, where all of a sudden we have our local elected officials, our city mayors, our county commissioners, uh, our city councils dictating to the police what they can and cannot enforce. And uh, I, I, I don't know of any of those uh, city council members that have you know, gone to the training or police academy that our chiefs of police and sheriffs have. And all of a sudden, they, they themselves uh, tie the hands of the law enforcement officers to basically just enforce the law. And uh, in the case of this individual, uh, if he would have had a warrant for, from DEA or an FBI warrant or, uh, or from another, another uh, police department, they would, have, they would have done the same. They would have arrested him, but they would not have released him just because it was ICE. And this is the, the mentality that, that is very – I'm perplexed and under, don't understand that somehow – I don't know if it's out of spite because they hate President Trump and his policies. I don't know. I don't know the reason is that if you're an illegal alien, you will have more protections than even a U.S. citizen, and you will get released. And, and, and we will have cases like the Kate, Kate Steinle case uh, in, in California years ago. Uh, where a little alien was deported five times and, and on, on his last time back killed her. Um, and, and a police officer in California was killed. I mean, there's numerous, numerous and endless cases of uh, – when I used to live in Colorado, a guy that had been in the country illegally for, uh, for 15 years and had five DUI convictions, eventually uh, killed a 16-year-old driver head-on. Um, he survived. And, and, and we hear these horrific cases, and, and unfortunately, they're happening every day, and they're illegally in our country. And I want to mention really quick, because let's not, let's not forget that it's the illegals coming into the border, uh, in the south, southern border, but also uh, we forget about the visa overstays. A lot of people come to this country on a legitimate visa. These are, they obviously, they're economically better well off because they, they qualify to get one. But they come with this visa and they overstay here, and they're, they're, they're as illegal as the ones that are coming through the river, and um, and no one no one is checking on them, no one is detecting them, and there's a huge number of, of those individuals out in our, our community as well. Well, my friend Mike Cutler always asks this question. He says, "Do you know how many border states there are in the United States?" And people mm-hmm. start to tick them off. All right, New Jersey, New York, blah blah blah. Oh, about twenty. No, 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 no. That's not the correct answer. There are 50 border states, every single state with an international airport, every state with a seaport or a a river port, anyone with a port is a border state because an illegal alien can enter or an alien 
can enter in any one of these 50 states, either legally or illegally. So there are 50 border states. And if we start thinking that way, don't think just border control. It has to be national security control. And we don't, we're not approaching Absolutely. it in that manner. Absolutely, mm-hmm. and there's national security at this point. And let's not forget Canada. These terrorists and these cartels are starting to see the um, the opportunity to come to Canada. You know, they know the, the 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 attention will always will be some attention down at the southern border. In my in my opinion, not enough. Uh, but they're trying to say, trying to see. Okay, well, let's circumvent that and let's go through Canada. And uh, Canada has uh, uh, the uh, marijuana stores and, and all that, and they'll infiltrate the product to there and bring it that way. And, and so they'll, they will never stop to try to bring the product and, and the human trafficking, the females for, uh, 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 that's what I did. I was a subject matter expert in human trafficking. And I did many cases of victims being brought from Mexico to New York, to Miami, Atlanta, Houston, uh, for the sex slave trade, uh, which are horrific, horrific crimes. And now uh, these, that's why I don't like to call them drug cartels anymore, because these are organizations that deal in any illicit activity that, that deals with our border and, 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 and anything they can get in, into our country to make money. I mean, human trafficking is now second to drug trafficking and the illicit funds that they get uh, from that activity. Well, I have a question, question. For, I have a question for both of our guests. You know, our, our the men and women are out there doing their job day in and day out, <clears throat> excuse me, and for them to see all their work go to, you know, um, people being released that they capture and things like that, what is the psychological impact on, you know, ICE members who have to deal with this all the time, day in and day out? Go ahead, doctor, because I think you and I are going to have the exact same answer. <laughs> Probably, yes. It's very demoralizing. Um, I mean, it's like pushing a big rock up a big mountain and then only to have somebody, uh, once you get to the top, push it down again. And, I, I, I mean, it's just so... Uh, you just wonder, you have to wonder what you're doing after a while. Why do you keep doing it when, when people are putting your, their life in, in danger, when people just keep uh, ignoring the results that you get? Absolutely right. New York, the state of California entirely, and especially in New York, I have a lot of contacts uh, with NYPD there, and demoralizing is, is yes, uh, to say the least. They are arresting people. For, for crimes, uh, burglary, burglary, assault, you name it, murder sometimes, rape. And we're talking about serious crimes here. Booked, charged, into the jail, and they encounter that same individual the following day within 24 hours outside. Guess what? Less, Committing another crime. Less, less time. Less, I'll tell you a true story. I booked these two guys for burglary and a couple other charges. No sooner did I get them booked, get the affidavit signed, I'm back to my command, I get changed, I go to drive home, and there's a bar I used to stop at the end of work to have one or two before making a long ride out to Long Island. The two of them were sitting on the other side of the bar. 
<laughs> directly across the yeah. face. And the only thing that, that made me, I, I finished my drink. I had one. I walked out. They had no idea who I was because I was not in uniform. I looked completely different in uniform compared to out. And I looked at the owner and I turned around to him, who was a retired cop, and he says, I just busted those two guys just this afternoon. And I said, they were already out and sitting in your bar? And he goes, oh, well, they're paying. And I says, I'm out of here. I never went back. And I, it was, yeah. I swear. It's worse now. Hours, it's worse now. Absolutely. It, it's absolutely it is worse now. The revolving door and the bail reform. The, the, the bail reform is one of the... Oh my! The most dangerous policies that New York has uh, uh, instilled in their in their justice system, you want to call it that, because um, you know you're used to the guy getting a you know he gets a, a bail. You have to pay some kind of amount and get a bond with a with a bond company to get out, and that's what hold would hold people in jail. Well, you don't have to do that anymore. You literally get booked and are released on your own recognizances, and you're back in the street within hours. And, and, and it, is, uh, it is incredible that we've gotten away from the protection of the, and uh, the security and safety of our U.S. citizens in this country um, and, and all over the place. I mean, you look at Seattle, Portland, uh, Wisconsin, uh, even Texas, uh, places in Texas, uh, Austin is out of control. Uh, it is uh, – it is something that really, uh, I think, uh, has to be. You talk about criminal justice reform. I'm not talking about releasing people from prison. I'm talking about at the local level to change these policies to hold people accountable for their actions. Yes, and, and, and the pa- use, using the pandemic as an excuse for all of this. I mean, it's just ridiculous. It's the same, it's just as ridiculous as when it was used as an excuse for allowing all those mail-in ballots. Yeah, and they're That's using right. oh. this. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, but they're using this because now they're leaving these blue states, moving to the red states, and what's the end result? The Senate race in Georgia. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And I want to mention really quick, uh, the doctor mentioned COVID. Um, in El Paso, Texas, they have been overrun with COVID cases. Their, ho- their hospitals are full of their ICU units and ventilators and all that. They, they are overwhelmed. They're so overwhelmed that they've been flying people from uh, El Paso to, into the Dallas-Fort Worth and other cities around Texas. But let me tell you what's happening and why they will not acknowledge the main problem as to why they have these spike in COVID cases, and it's the people coming from Mexico. They, mm-hmm. people, U.S. citizens and permanent resident aliens, and, of course, Mexican nationals coming over sick with COVID and having our U.S. ambulances. Uh, we, we had a, uh, there was a, um, uh, a whistleblower from a U.S. Amb- uh, ambulance uh, that, that blew the whistle and said, I've been picking up you know, port of entry to pick up, you know, a U.S. citizen that was sick, one one a day maybe. Now I'm going 25, 26 trips a day to pick up people. And, and this is my point. If you're a U.S. citizen and you're a lawful permanent resident alien of the United States, you yourself decided to live in Mexico. They they chose their, uh, which in, in being a resident alien in the U.S. and being in Mexico is, is against the law, yet you know, I've seen it all my life. There, right? I was born and raised there, 
and they try to take advantage of our system and immigration system. That's why we need some kind of immigration reform on top of that. But anyway, um, they're being, they come over now, they come over because Mexico has been overwhelmed even worse in Juarez. Their, their, their pandemic has, you know, a lot worse than ours. So guess what? Now they over, came over the border, did the same thing to El Paso, but no one will acknowledge the fact that that's the, that's the problem, at least the local elected officials. And they won't stop it, we, especially the congresswoman there, won't send and say, well, this is the reason that stopped that and to control mm-hmm. the, and protect the U.S. citizens. Uh, it seems that they get the preference first. Hmm. It, 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 it's absolutely amazing what, what we have put ourselves into, uh, the way we have allowed our elected officials to, to alter the landscape of our nation. And we've got to start taking it back. We really do have to start. And I don't see that happening within the next four years. And it's got, it, it's got to be weighing on the mental health of the silent majority of this nation. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I mean, you know, I was just going to say, uh, just uh, the the, the, mor- the morale, of course, in the in the conservative movement uh, is obviously at an all time low, especially what happened in uh, in D.C. and and it's just uh, I I just want to I want to call for unity. I, I think it's uh, there's something that has to be done. We are at a crossroads. It's time to unify. It's time to um, and I'm not talking about backing down in our conservative or, or, or values. As a matter of fact, we need to voice them even more so now, the family unit, uh, God in our families. Uh, um, I mean, I, I told you at the beginning of the show, the reason I'm here is because God decided not to take me that time uh, in 2011. And so uh, uh, the faith and uh, the schools, I mean, we have issues around our school system, even where I live here. The school board is trying to indoctrinate our children and changing uh, a lot of the, the policies and what they teach our kids. And, um, and so we're fighting that here. It's all at the local level, but I think it belongs at home. I think it belongs with a family unit. And hopefully we could start, um, you know, media has a big issue. Of course, I think we could all agree that media is not on our side. And so I, there has to be something here that we can do to unify both sides and, 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 and start um, getting to the country that we used to be. Now, unfortunately, it's dividing families, and it's already done that in my own, uh, because come Wednesday night, I got a text from an intimate family member, and I had to block the person. I actually had to block. And uh, my mom, God bless her, she's going to be 89 July 4th, saw me crying. You know, I love these two individuals very much, but when she saw how hurt I was, she goes, block them. Just, and this is her own child, she's telling me, to block. So, you know, it, it, it's, this has, uh, there's no other way to say it, doctor, but a mental instability that you've never seen before. I, and your people have to be rabid in, in order to deliberately inflict pain on another individual knowing that they're doing it. Yes, there has been so much um, breaking up of families, of friendships, of uh, work colleagues. Um, people are, are so, and I think a lot of it does have to do with the media that uh, stokes these things, you know, and people, a lot of misinformation that's being given out. 
and um, and you know, with the schools and with the media, the problem is that a lot of this has been infiltrating very uh, quietly over the years. And we are seeing it now blossom, you know, like in the schools, for example, um, the things that, that kids are being taught, even, even from, from elementary school, um, no less high school and college, um, really <laughs> such bad information, you know, such um, propaganda. And I think we haven't really realized just how bad this all was. And even I think you were alluding to sexual um, information that, that, you know, really that kids should not be, uh, have to deal with at that age and, and, should, and it's propaganda uh, to begin with. Um, so this has really been happening over years and, and we haven't uh, realized the extent of it until I think more recently. No, well, there's a lot of subjects you uh, uh, touch on in your book, Agent Under Fire, A Murder and a Manifesto, Victor. And you, you deal with assimilation. You also address the DACA issue um, and what it means to be an American. Like As you said, your family chose to become American and assimilate. We're seeing now the brainwashing in society, but because because we're such bigots and we don't want illegal aliens and we're demanding that those that do come here uh, do assimilate into our society and embrace American values, we're bad. Thank you so much for mentioning that. Uh, I remember uh, writing that, that small portion of assimilation. I, I frankly believe it. And, and my book, is, as you, as you read, it was, it's very personal. I opened up. And I strongly believe in assimilation. Uh, uh, one of the big, biggest things that upsets me is when people, all they want to do, uh, immigrants that want to immigrate into this country, all they want to do is be in the United States. As soon as they get here, they're waving their Mexican flag. They're making, waving their uh, Honduran flag. And I'm like, wait a minute. The, you, you left that country because of the terrible and horrific conditions that they had you in, but yet you want to have that country here. It doesn't. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Now, I'll I'll be the first one to tell you. I don't ignore my Mexican heritage. I love my Mexican heritage. I love Mexico, and my um and you know my parents were born and raised there, and they're the most conservative people that I know. And it doesn't mean that I'm gonna ignore where I came from. Uh, I still listen to Mexican music. I still uh, I'm a uh, I'm a dual person that way. But you know what? I'm an American first. And so a lot of times uh, words matter, you know, uh, how you identify yourself. And I did this big study in college is, you know, what, what do we call the Mexican-American, Hispanic, Latino, Chicano? You know what I am? I'm an American. I was born and raised here. And uh, my parents learned to assimilate. And my dad became a naturalized U.S. citizen in 1980. My mom, I think, I believe in 1990. Uh, and, and, and we're Americans. We're Americans, and uh, we believe in America, and everything that, that the opportunities that we talk about all the time that were afforded to my parents, what did they want them? They wanted to afford them to us. My, my, myself and my twin sister were the first ones to gra- graduate from college. My, my older sister is a successful property manager. My twin sister is an attorney. Uh, it, 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 you know, we're the product of the American dream, and what, what do we want for our children? to better that. Isn't that what everybody wants? I think we had all that in common. And so that's what I fight for, the legal 
a way. Uh, the United States is a very, very generous country in allowing legal immigrants in, into our country, uh, like over a million per year. And, and so I understand there has to be some reform, even on the legal side of it, because there's a lot of uh, uh, broken areas there. But, but none, none of them has dared to do it. No Congress, not even the Obama administration, no one. For years, they talk about it and to get votes, but they haven't done it. And we'll, we'll see what the Biden administration will, will – I know what they want to do. He's already said it. He wants to grant amnesty. He's going to stop the, the construction of the wall. He's, he's going to stop the, the catch and release. Um, he's going to he's basically going to undo every policy that has been instilled in the last four years. Which... Did we just lose Victor? I think we just lost Victor. Oh, there we go. Oh. You, you broke off. You broke okay. off the oh, last sorry. part of what you were saying. I was you were talking about. That, uh, uh, did you hear the Biden? That he's going to undo, yeah. and then you broke off. He, oh yeah, he's going to. Uh, 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 Biden's going to want to do every policy that uh, uh, President Trump instilled in the last four years, and I think it's a dangerous path moving forward if he does that. He's already starting to walk some of those uh, promises that he said he was going to do on day one because he's realizing that you just can't, with a stroke, a stroke of a pen, get rid of these policies. You just can't stop the construction on, on a, by, by a minute and stop it, and you can't uh, uh, undo these policies and have a rush of hundreds of thousands of people to our southern border. And I think he's already starting to realize that. And you know, reality is one thing, and what they promised to get elected is another one. Um, and so hopefully I'm hoping, you know, I, I'm optimistically uh, uh, looking at the future that hopefully they will realize that they have to keep some of these policies in place. Because when it comes, like you, like you mentioned, Anne, this is national security issues. This is the protection of our U.S. citizens. And they need to realize no matter who's in the White House. No, not at all. And, and there is a huge price that's being paid nationwide. It's not just the illegal aliens coming over, being used for sex trafficking, uh, drug trafficking, slave labor, um, gang members. But, Dr. Carroll, we also see that the spreading in our schools and workplaces of whooping cough, uh, measles, a lot of these diseases that we thought that we had conquered decades ago are now reemerging. Yes, yes, that is a problem, along with um, uh, the issue of vaccines and and yeah, freedom and so on. You know, um, uh, it, it is, and and yet it's so hard to talk about these things because then. You know, it's so easy to to then be called a racist, or you know, how dare you say what's why are you saying this against? Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it just gets really complicated. But of course, we have to be careful about about uh, everybody's physical and mental health. Well, you know, we used to have in the immigration policy that before you came here, you had to have a sponsor. And the sponsor is responsible for you. You had to have a job lined up and a place to live. You have to guarantee for the next five years you will not live off of any government benefit, period. And, you know, people were proud. And then if once you came here, you had to be tested. Remember Typhoid Mary and Ellis Island? Uh, both my grandfathers came through Ellis Island. 
uh, you would, if you were found to have any sort of disease, you were then, um, oh, good Lord, I just forgot, quarantined. You were quarantined until you were allowed to enter legally or you were sent back. You know, you had to jump through all these hoops in order to come here. But now you come across the border, you yeah. you have a three test, if anything, uh, and then you're given a ticket and told to show up in the court and you just disappear into the fabric of our wonderful nation, never to be seen or heard from again, unless you break the law again. So, you know, it, it, and then also, I just want to ahead, share a Victor. quick story with you about, about the vaccines, because uh, it's, it's so ironic when, when uh, after the shooting in Mexico and I was taken out and then my family was extracted, we eventually were taken to, to DC or to Virginia. And um, my kids were, uh, were not allowed to enroll in the elementary school there. Our, our, our focus, my wife and I were focused to get the kids in because they had missed a lot of school. We didn't want them to miss credit for the whole uh, year. And they would not accept them unless they had certain vaccines. These are, these are U.S. citizen kids that have had all their vaccines throughout, you know, uh, in, in, in their schedules. But because we were coming from Mexico, and we lived there for a couple of years, they required additional vaccines. And I'm like, I don't think the illegal alien kids that are being brought over with their families over the river, over the, you know, our southern border, are not given the same uh, uh, consideration or, 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 or have to do it. And so it didn't make any sense to me uh, how, how ironic that was. Yeah. Well, you know, just to show my age, back in the late 70s, early 80s, I owned a travel agency in New York. And whenever we sent someone to Europe or to Africa or to several different countries, you needed to have, number one, a visa, and number two, you had to have vaccines. Uh, we no longer require that. You know, you come over here, you get a visa, and if you don't, if you don't leave when the visa's over, so what? So what? Mm-hmm. You're not breaking but we don't require the medical testing and saying, all right, you're coming from a country that we know has measles, has the whooping cough, has tuberculosis, has Ebola. But we're not going to ask, you know, any medical questions of you. Just come on in anyway. It's an open door. Doctor? Well, yeah. Um, it's It's really a very dangerous policy, and I think, you know, besides the logistics that and the sheer numbers of people, it's also about, I mean, about PC, um, that America is going to be killed by being too PC. That, that definitely will kill us. Yes, it will kill us. You know, um, I, I, we were had uh, Congressman Ted Yoho on just a little before, and whenever I did one of my Tea Party um, speeches when we first uh, formed, I said, we are the majority and we're silent no more. And I think this is what Trump has brought out in us also, that same idea that we are the majority and we should not be silent. Uh, so we've got more people like you and like Victor, like myself, like Curtis, that need to speak up and get the public educated. And, you know, I think people took... Um, being an American and the rights that we have of being an American for granted too much. So some of what's happened in this election um, is, you know, bringing out people's appreciation 
for uh, being an American, you know, make America great again and all that. Patriotism has flourished some, even though, uh, you know, I think it's made a lot of people who just, as I said, took it for granted, think again about, you know, how great this country is or was and and started to be again. And, and now, you know, we're at great peril. <laughs> Crazy Uncle Joe in the White House. That's all we need. <laughs> Carol, yeah. uh, talking about talking about crazy. You know, during the uh, in the run up to the election, uh, I've been doing lots of interviews, and in in terms of Joe. Um, I would analyze lots of uh, speeches that he gave or the debates and so on. And I kept pointing out examples of his encroaching dementia. I mean, you know, you don't really have to be a psychiatrist <laughs> to see some of these things. Just the other day, in fact, there were, he made a, a gap. He, they like to say gaps. You know, they're not just gaps. They are signs of, uh, of dementia. Um, but he talked about Kamala Harris being president, President Harris or something like that. And, I mean, these are really um, fundamental problems that, uh, that, I mean, there are people we know behind him who are going to be taking over. He, he really, uh, he really, he should be in a doctor's office, not running for president. Well, you know, some True. people saying after years, Kamala Harris will become president. I give it six months or less because uh, i had family members with dementia. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I have one that I'm, I'm concerned about right now. So I, I, I know what the signs to look for. And I, the stress of being president of the United States alone can cause health issues. Because how many presidents have we yeah. seen going in with a full head of hair, jet black yeah. hair? And then it's a matter of months, you start to see the graying at the temple. Because it is an extremely stressful job. Now, if you have someone that has dementia and you place them under stress, you're going only to accelerate that dementia. Yes, absolutely. So it's not going to be two years. I don't even think it's going to be six months. Yes, it's hard. Yeah, I I saw the I saw a report yesterday about. About uh, by the way, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on the prediction. I say 18 months, so they won't make it that obvious. Uh, I give it uh, 18 months <laughs> before uh, he's not going to finish. He's not going to finish the term, that's for sure. But um, they're saying, and uh, some and some uh, analysts are saying that, yeah, as a matter of fact, might have a harder time because when you control the government, you control all three, uh, you know, the brand, the uh, you know, the House, the Senate. And the presidency, there's a lot higher pressure because you could do whatever you want, right? You could pass whatever law you want. And there's a big division between the left, radical left uh, extremists and in, in, in the AOCs of the world uh, versus a lot of centrist uh, Democrats that are still there. And, uh, and remember, you know, like it or not, Biden – was never a far left guy. He never had been really. He had to run on that platform, I think, and became that to gain that that support of that side. So what's going to happen is, is he's just going to automatically approve everything and sign everything they bring to his desk, or is he going to is he going to have a bigger challenge because he doesn't they don't they no longer have the excuse. There is no Trump anymore to blame everything on. There is no bad guy anymore because uh, what what are they going to have to choose? 
to say that they're not going to be able to accomplish. If they wanted to, they could have immigration reform done in six months because they could pass whatever they want, but they won't do it uh, because they've always used that ploy for votes. And we, we all know that. They'll continue to use it as, an, as a, any, uh, a tool to gain that, that, uh, the Hispanic vote. But um, I think it will be actually harder for him, uh, and you talk about the stress levels, because now there is nothing holding them back. And they have no one to blame. They have no one else to say. The, the, and it actually will be uh, even easier for the Republicans because now it's easier for them to say, no, we oppose everything. And so it's going to be, it's going to be quite, quite interesting to see the next six months fold out. Absolutely. Well, Carol? I think we should – I think maybe uh, Republicans should start thinking about – instead of thinking about uh, whether Trump should be uh, taken out by the 25th Amendment, they should start thinking now – about uh, Biden, you know, um, it would be a lot. There's nothing to prove with Trump, but with Biden, it wouldn't really be that hard. Great point. Absolutely. And then you can see Kamala Harris for two for two two terms. <laughs> what a well, thought! Yeah. And oh, I mean, by, oh, by the way, Kamala Harris, you weren't the only one that had to go to school busing. I was bused too, honey. And nine times out of ten, I had a younger brother and sister to their bus stop, so I'd miss it. So I'd have to walk two and a half miles to school on the way. And then I got to ride the bus back home. So don't tell me about Mm -hmm. the hardship of busing, lady. (laughs) Oh, boy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's it. Even if they got Biden out with the 25th Amendment, then they'd have to work on Kamala Harris. I mean, that certainly wouldn't wouldn't be better, so... Uh, well, I'm I'm still hoping for the for the Italian. Um, you know, I'm hoping that this new event, this news about uh, this man in Italy coming forward and saying yes, he changed the votes, and it's a, a combination with Germany and and uh, England, and um, you know, I would imagine that that should should affect something, even though it's coming a little late. Yeah, because when we found out that the machines uh, were manufactured out of England, Germany, Italy, I believe also Spain, uh, it was like, what? And then the votes were being tallied up in Canada. What? I thought the federal law and the Constitution said there should be no foreign entanglement in our, our federal elections. But this is what's happened. But then again, when Hillary ran for Senate in New York, she was taking money out of China. So, you know, you, you bend the rules a little bit here and you can bend them down the road over there. It, it, rules don't matter. Well, well we, have to, we have to get to the bottom of this now or else it's only going to get worse. No, we, we do, and we have to expose it as we go along. And exposing the problems with immigration, how many illegal immigrants, I have to correct myself, illegal aliens, correct term, Anne, uh, have actually voted in our elections? And it seems like there's a large number, especially in the state of Nevada, uh, Victor. Yes, yes, and, um, and you know, that, that that's the triggered word, uh, right, illegal alien. Um, but I'll tell you what, that's the correct legal term, uh, when I was a federal probation officer and I started working for the U.S. courts and I, I, I prepared reports for the U.S. district judges, uh, that's how we had to put it. That's how it's re- re- referred in the, in the immigration book, uh, law, law book, uh, illegal alien. 
and uh, now people are offended by that term. But anyway, uh, absolutely, there's a, a a lot of people circumventing uh, the voting, receiving benefits, a lot of, of them receiving the stimulus checks, um, you know, and a lot of services that are being received. And a lot of the, the argument is, well, the uh, it, it's it's not the the illegal alien parent. It, it, the services are going to the child, the U, uh, American child that was born here, U.S. citizen child. Um, and it's true in some sense, but the benefit still goes to the, ben- the the illegal alien when they go to the hospital, when they go to the ER room. Now with uh, the COVID and all that, the people that end up paying for all that is you and me, the U.S. citizen taxpayer. And and uh, I saw it in El Paso. You know, the ER room was uh, continued to um, uh, to be overwhelmed, and we paid taxes up the wazoo. Because of to cover those expenses, uh, the burden was on us our, in our property taxes and every other uh, form of tax that the city imposed because they had to cover the, the hospital visits from the illegal aliens coming across the border. And so that continues to happen to this day. And, uh, and so that's part of the reform that we need. And, and, um, and I, it's, it's hard. But you know what? You know where it starts? It starts by securing the border. That's where it starts. And, um, and once you have that control, and, and that's number one, and part of that, I think, is taking out the cartels because they have, they have taken over Mexico. You know, a lot of people uh, don't want to call it a failed state. I call it a failed state already. Mexico, even since I was there and I served there at the U.S. Embassy, it, the cartels have evolved very different. They have control of of the uh, politicians, they have control of the police, and by their own statistics, they they have influ- influence and control of over 80% of that country. And so uh, any legal activity, any nexus to the border that you want to come from Mexico to the U.S. is going to be, you're going to interact with a, control, with a uh, cartel member. And so uh, that directly impacts you know, people say, why are you talking about Mexico all the time? Because it directly impacts our communities here in the United States. There, there are towns popping up. I, I think there's a, I talked to a radio station up in Yonkers, New York, where their crime has increased like by 45%, and most of it is by illegal aliens. They formed a community there, and illegal aliens, drug dealer illegal aliens, that they're there pushing the the, the, their, their product, the methamphetamine, the heroin, and we know what's happening with the heroin epidemic in this country, and it's killed, what, 80,000 people in 2020. Where's the outrage there? Where's the attention there? You know, uh, it, the, I think we need to really uh, shift our focuses and really uh, uh, Congress needs to kind of reevaluate where, what are you protecting? How are you going to protect our country? What, where do you have to look at? And I think the number one place right now and the imminent threat is Mexico, which, by the way, is right here next to us. It's not Iraq. And, uh, and I don't, I'm not diminishing, the, the, obviously, the threat from Iran, which is a big one right now. But they're 6,000 miles away. Mexico is right here next to us. And because they're, they're our neighbor, there's a, other issues with trade. But at one point, we have to look out for ourselves. And I believe in the America, American first policy. Well, there's so much yeah. more we got to t- and talk about because we're down to our last about 11 minutes here because you've got now these vologs, these uh, 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 volu- these uh, 
Oh, good Lord. These Christian or private organizations that work with government and receive government money to go into Mexico or Central America and to help these illegal aliens navigate the system. And then they help them get uh, Social Security supplemental income, Section 8 housing, uh, food stamps, uh, Obama phones, Medicaid, and it goes on and on down the line. But, oh, wait a minute, they're coming here to America to take jobs that Americans really don't want. Well, the job they're taking is the job little Billy came home from school after and mowed the neighbor's lawn and would be able to buy, you know, candy or books or whatever he wants or his hobbies. No, no, no. You took the job and the candy out of the kid's mouth. Uh, No, these are jobs Americans do want and have done. So you're taking food and money out of Americans' mouths. So there's a huge, huge economic cost that goes tied in, not with just what we were talking about now, but it snowballs. Then they're dumped in communities without the communities knowing they're being dumped there. And then the health risks that go on to the local community without the community or the community elected officials even knowing their community has been put in jeopardy. There's so much more to talk about. And I'll put it away. And it's the protection of our sovereignty. Uh, It really comes down to that. Mexico, by the way, is very big on the protection of their own sovereignty, so much that they forced us to release a general, a Mexican general, ex-minister of defense, uh, that we charged in the U.S. with drug trafficking and money laundering and was in, uh, in custody. And we, we got him in custody in L.A. There's a couple of months ago. He was in New York going to be tried. And Mexico diplomatically made a big stink out of it and said, we, uh, we think you violated our sovereignty by not telling us that, that DEA was investigating this guy in Mexico. And DEA didn't tell him because of the corruption. We, we would never get this guy. He's the highest level government official that we have ever arrested. And guess what? We released them. We released them back to Mexico. We, didn't, we dropped all the charges. They had nothing to do with the evidence. It was a diplomatic decision based on Mexico's sovereignty. What about our sovereignty? Uh, where is our, when does our sovereignty and the protection of our people come first? Um, uh, we've arrested not just that one, but uh, the head of the Mexican Federal Police that I work with when I was in Mexico, he's still in custody, thank goodness, in New York awaiting trial. But now guess what? He's trying to, to, to plead the same case saying, I want to get sent back to Mexico because you violated my sovereignty for Mexico. And so uh, all of a sudden, I don't like the, the, the path that Mexico is setting and, and somehow they're emboldened by these decisions that they just passed a law just about three weeks ago limiting the, uh, the activities and presence of our U.S. law enforcement in Mexico, uh, even the communication that they have with the Mexican government, uh, and, and what that does is puts our, our law enforcement officers in, in Mexico at gra- greater danger because now they don't have the protection of immunities that they used to have before. They took them out. And all, Mexico is moving into some uh, decisions that, that are very, very much against the uh, uh, the relationship with the United States in combating all these things that we talked about, human trafficking, drug trafficking, and all that, uh, by the way, uh, uh, in- includes vaccinations, uh, HSI investigations under ICE, Homeland Security Investigations, are looking a lot at the fraudulent uh, vaccinations that are trying to come in through China 
and we don't know what they are. Uh, these are not the ones that were uh, being approved of that they take advantage to try to get them in here. So there's a lot of issues there that we, we have to deal with in our border that um, that somehow I don't know. I don't like the fact that Mexico is dictating to us the United States of how we run these policies. And I think we, there has to be a big shift in that in 2021. Well, that's scary. Counterfeit vaccinations coming out, so you don't even know if you're getting a placebo or the real thing. That is scary. Uh, Dr. Carroll, where can people find your show? Um, well, my terrorist therapist show is on uh, renegadetalkradio.com and wherever other podcasts are are found. And then I also do Dr. Carroll's Couch on voiceamerica.com. Awesome, awesome. Uh, you're gonna ha- I'm gonna have to put up the links onto the show page because there was a little bit of a miscommunication between your agent and me, <laughs> so I didn't know you were gonna yes, be joining okay. us. All right. <laughs> well, and I'm glad Mr. that uh, I'm, I'm glad to have to have joined you. It was a very interesting show. Oh, it has been an absolute pleasure, and it's always lovely to know that I have someone of your caliber out there that can educate my audience. Also, it is wonderful. Victor, where can people find you? They could go to agentunderfirebook.com, agentunderfirebook.com. That's my website. They could order the book through there, or they could just go straight to amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com and find it. It'll pop up under Agent Under Fire. The full title is Agent Under Fire, A Murder and a Manifesto. Is it going to be coming out on Kindle soon? It is. It is an e-book and on Kindle, yes, it is. It's available in that format as well. Oh, absolutely, absolutely awesome. We had so much fun having the two of you on at the same time. Uh, It has been a great, great pleasure. And, of course, you know you're welcome back anytime. So, you know, just get a hold of me, and I'll get you back on. Or I'll just reach out to you in a little while and say, hey, let's come back on. Let's talk some more about this. Really enjoyed it, Anne. Thank you. And a pleasure to meet you, Dr. Carroll. It was a great conversation. Thank you. All right, uh, check them out. I'm going to be adding on Dr. Carroll's link onto the show page after we get off here. I want to thank Victor and Dr. Carroll. God bless you for the hard work you both do, and I'll be speaking with you soon. Thank, thank you. Have you. a wonderful new year. Yes, you, all, all of you. Bye-bye. Happy New Year. All right. Uh, check them out. I'm gonna, As I said, I'll put the other link up for Dr. Carroll afterwards. Curtis, this has been an absolutely fantastic show. I'm sorry our guy, Joe Griffith from uh, Heritage, did not show up, and, so I'll find out what, yeah. and see if we can get him on next week. Uh, but what a surprise to have Dr. Carroll call in. I did not expect it because her agent came back to me before I went on air. And, of course, we had the mess up at the start of the show where I got kicked off. Anyway, we will be back next week. Uh, I'm trying to line up uh, some new guests with it. Uh, One of them may be uh, a new author. Uh, He has the three books of why uh, Tom Williamson. I'm trying to get him on. And uh, also Mitch Gerber. He's got new information going on with the Chinese Uyghurs uh, that he sent me an SOS and saying, hey, talk to me. So I'm trying to get them both lined up. So um, I am going to say Happy New Year to everyone, and we will see you next Friday. And I will leave you with Gary Pecorella time, same back station, with his song, (laughs) Save America.